They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Welcome back to another episode of the Occult Book Club, number seven, if I'm correct. I'm pretty sure it's number seven, because the last one we did was the Book of Werewolves. If you haven't checked that one out, go ahead and check it out. We get into all things werewolves, which is pretty interesting. That was a really fun one. We did that one live, didn't we? That was, I think so, yeah. That was yeah, one of the live ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we had Gabe and Romy and everybody for it. But yeah, make sure to check me out on social media at the one one podcast, the one one podcast.com to get your copy of the occultist Monday. If you're going to enjoy this episode today, you're going to enjoy what we're putting out on these. The November issue should be out here by tomorrow or something. I'm almost done with it. And the chosen Juan comic book versus this attorney and cube, the one one podcast.com. Check out paranoid American Get the paranoid American pamphlet. This is, I guess, the old design or something like that, right? Or this is a sampler size, right? Uh, no, that's that's the OG one. That's the one that everyone should have, that that format that you've got there, <laughs> that little one. There just happens to be one on Amazon, too, because uh, getting those little pamphlets into Amazon Warehouse and the whole logistics of it, long story short, it sucks. Oh, really? Was that was that, that was the reasoning behind the size change? Uh, yeah, so Amazon, they, they only let you go down to a very certain size. I think it's like six by six inches or you can't go down a whole lot smaller than that. And it has to be like a square. Like they don't, you know, and those ones that you've got, that one that you just held up, I think it's three and a half by two inches, which is like the OG chick track size. And that's what it's based mm, on. Uh, and I could get those on Amazon, but I'd have to send them to Amazon and then pay Amazon to storm in their storage facility. And then uh, it's just like a whole extra uh, layer to it that i just don't want to get into yet yeah we pay the lizards enough money so any more money that goes towards them i think we should hold off you want to plug your stuff thomas before we get into it yeah paranoidamerican.com at paranoidamerican on instagram and there is a newly launched paranoid american patreon where you can get some uh eventually there'll be a game demo on there for a new steam game before it's even in early access you'll be able to get access to that 
and a whole bunch of new comics coming out that I'm only going to post on Patreon. And I just, what is it, the end of November? Yeah, beginning of November. I just launched a whole bunch of new stickers on the site. I don't know if, if uh, here's one of them made by Bags Draws, a little Bohemian Grove playset <laughs> sticker. But we've got Bohemian Grove ones, um, a mo- an inflatable Moloch, um, you know, friend toy. And we've got some, some World's Fair Plaster of Paris, a little Tartaria sticker. So just a whole bunch of stuff. Check that out on the uh, the Etsy shop, linked on paranoidamerican.com. Did you see that new design that I'm working on? The the homunculus design, right? <laughs> it's so amazing, bro. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. You saw you like it, though, right? Like the, the outline, that was just a rough sketch he sent me. Well, I saw the one that you sent me with a little number one next to it, which implied that there's there were some other ones on there that yes. I didn't get to see yet. There was other ones, but I... I went with number one, bro. That's a spoiler. I went with number one. Yep. So we'll, we'll see. That'll be out soon. New shirt design. And we're actually going to be reading what birthed the <laughs> the homunculus idea when we were diving into an all-seeing eye for a book club number three or four or something like that. And these are a series of monthly magazines that were written, edited, and compiled by Manly P. Hall. From like the 1920s to what the the 90s or 80s, right, bro? I mean, they they go they go deep. Yeah, well, at least the the website that we're tracking them off of ends in winter of 1990. So That's yeah, they went from wild, dude. yeah, they went from the 1923 into the 90s. And do you believe that it was him doing all the writing, dude? Because this guy was so prolific. There's no way, bro. How are you gonna have find so much time? Because, I mean, you're you, with your background, Thomas, in this whole, I know you, you've helped design magazines and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think he was actually writing all of it or, because this is crazy, dude, the amount of writing that he did, if he actually did write everything. I mean, I would, it would be surprising if, if he wrote the whole thing. Um, but I mean, the, the front of every single hook cover says, a monthly magazine written, edited, and compiled by Manly P. Hall. Uh, but but you will notice as you go through some of these, uh, um, every once in a while, he'll kind of restate something from like an older manuscript. Mm. It'll be a translation. So he knows how to add a little bit of filler. He's always got a couple of little like jokes in there. And I'm not sure if the ongoing fictional stories were 100% him and no one else. or, or not. I haven't really looked into him enough. But I, but I mean, this it's enough to, for him to be prolific, regardless of how much he was involved in every single article. Mm-hmm. I think as we go on, we might see some other names slip in, but who knows? Yeah, and we could pull some some stuff up because my whole thing was what I don't like about Manly P. Hall is he doesn't really cite his sources. You know what I mean? That's that's the only thing that I've never liked about Manly P. Hall. Where he puts it's out, the, it's the the trust me, bro. Sort <laughs> it's the original. Yeah, where he just puts out a bunch of crazy stuff. You're like, wow, this is wild. I wonder where he got it from. Good luck, because you're not, you know, at least I'm not able to find it. Because being a researcher, right? I don't know about you, bro, but when I hear something crazy that sounds too good to be true, like whatever X Y Z was a lizard person, I go, wow, that's wild. I wonder where he got that from and you start looking of where they got it from and you can't find it. I don't repeat it again because I don't have the, the source material. You know what I mean? I don't that know about you. That doesn't sound too true. I've heard you repeat some <laughs> things that I'm not sure you could <laughs> dig up sources for, but I, I think in uh 
in this issue in particular, or in this volume, right? The volume two that had six issues. So it was every two months for, for this particular year. Um, but he does make some some pretty matter-of-fact claims, especially in the Q&A sections. And, oh, yeah. you know, at a certain point, you just have to accept that there's not like a source that he's going to be dropping on you. But there's there's absolutely enough in some of the things that he gets into for you to, like, find your own way. And one of the questions was, like, what books do you recommend? And he, <laughs> unbelievably, I thought he was just going to start listing off all of his own books. But this is so early on that he hasn't gotten a chance to write all of his books mm-hmm. yet so he had to he had to recommend other people's books so that one was uh kind of eye-opening so yeah for those that haven't caught on we're doing the all-seeing eye volume two number one through six and we're going to be going through these one by one and picking out what we like the most i'm not a big fan of the short stories uh too much but there is some other good stuff in there that we can cover i'm going to pull up if you guys want to read along with us, they follow the screen or you can I'll post the link to where you can get copies of all these because these are great stuff to, to read. I mean, it's occult topics and how you said he puts in like some comedy in there every now and again. So here we go. Thomas, you want to lead the way with the first one? I know you hit me up about this particular thing here, and this is. Yeah, I didn't know what it was, honestly, and I had uh, it wasn't easy to just Google, you know, like, what do you Google if you're trying to figure <laughs> out what this thing is, you know, 12 bricks, 12 gold bars, 12. Co- and I was trying to see, is it like Solomon's Temple and representative columns? No, that wasn't it. There was. Um, but anyways, in volume or in uh, issue six of the second volume, he actually breaks this down in one of the last uh, articles. So nice. if you're also interested, you had a great guess that it was a chocolate bar. And this actually looks like a <laughs> Willy Wonka. It definitely looks like a gold chocolate bar. So that wasn't too far off. Well, who knows think. where the inspiration came from, right? Because a dice, the reason a dice is a dice is not because it works well, but because that formed the cube, uh, they say imprints itself the best in the psyche. So that, again, that's something I read somewhere sometime, dude. I don't know if it's true or not. Don't. Yeah. Oh. Well, I think I don't know if you even realize this, but he uh, Manly P. Hall breaks down dice in, in this uh in this volume at some point. Really? Oh, I yeah, didn't catch the, that one. He basically mentions how the All right, be quiet, Thomas. Let's start okay. from vol number one, all right? Because you're getting too ahead of yourself, bro. Here we are. And then one thing that stood out to me is this magazine is not sold. Why is he he like saying that it's not sold? Oh, so he doesn't have like a whole publishing setup or anything mm. right now. He doesn't have distributors. He doesn't have all, everything lined up. But if you notice, he even mentions that the the books that are available, you have to buy them through like this mail order. So like, you know, almost nothing that he has at this point is actually being sold yet. This is early Manly P. Hall, bro. This is 20s Manly P. Hall. This is before he even wrote the the secret teaching of all ages yeah we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah in issue too. yeah we'll yeah you see i i know you caught it bro i know you caught it so here we are where do you want to start because i highlighted uh the abstractions and i know that you highlighted the, the almost the exact same thing i did yeah well, so you you read that one because that's exactly the same part that i highlighted so abstractions one of the greatest curses that confronts the students of, of occult philosophy is his inability to get any real information <laughs> which is true uh, he is flooded with concepts and abstractions but none of them 
but not one of them is capable of solving the practical problem. And I don't know what other part you put in there, but and then well, I've got I, it continues on of there's no greater abstraction on the face of the earth than the word truth, which covers every doctrine and misquotation known to man, and that we're told that truth is the answer to the problem, but we are never told what truth is, and that those that claim to have it demonstrate only an abstract condition which cannot possibly be true because it doesn't answer any problem solve any difficulty nor educate the human mind in any practical way so this is basically just the the people and the gurus and anyone that acts like they've found enlightenment or they've found like the secret or you know they've found like the perfect anything um unless you can 100 percent demonstrate it and teach it to someone else so that that other person can also um you know have that same ability then it's technically not a truth so I, I don't know, and I, I think I really liked that he opened it up on this one, but also because it's a little hypocritical because as like you go on and on and just like you said, you know, sometimes he doesn't cite the sources and he'll he'll make like an outrageous claim or he'll just mention like a link between two yeah. things and you'll wonder, is that just something that he fabricated? Did he read it somewhere else and where did he read it? Um, so that, I mean, again, it's like this magazine, he, he's good at kind of skirting between of saying like, well, I'm not professing the truth. I'm just kind of like laying it all out there. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see is specifically when he gets to the Q and the A sections, we'll see that he does think that he's got some kind of truth, uh, at least in some context. What are your thoughts on that, bro? What are your ideas on secret societies and everything else aside what are your ideas on what enlightenment actually is like what is that what does that concept mean to you when you're reading about all this so cool stuff because he's absolutely right a lot of things you read sometimes bro i'll be super deep in some rabbit hole somewhere and i'll just think to myself what is what is this all for you know what i mean is it just for the podcast <laughs> What am I, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? You, you, have you gotten that sometimes where? Yeah. I mean, I, I have like a, like a really simple yokel version of it, but it's like, I think the default state that if, if there was no society and we were just born and there was no books or, you know, no teaching, we were just humans being born into the world. Uh, we would just default into kind of very animalistic behavior. I don't think that there would like you wouldn't just naturally start developing a society and language and knowledge and everything. We would just kind of be animals. So whatever that thing is that like you can foster that brings you from that animalistic state into kind of like a higher consciousness state of humanity and just um just passing on knowledge. Like that doesn't just inherently happen by itself. So I think that um, uh, there might not be enlightenment in the same way that a lot of these books preach it, but there is the exact opposite of that pure animalistic state. There's something that, you know, if that's one end of the spectrum, then the other far end of the spectrum is probably what mm. a lot of these people are, are preaching to like the ideal version of, which you might never ever hit that hundred percent, you know, civilized on the scale, but, uh, you know, striving towards that, maybe that's kind of what all of this is about. Yeah, you bring up a good point. That's that's actually yeah, you put that really nice. And I, cause I think about it, dude. Like today, I was driving down the road, and I'm just looking around at the trees and everything. And I'm obviously I'm focusing on driving, but I'm looking around. I go. Sometimes I think, bro, is it all bullshit? Is it all 
this spiritual re- a hard right off this bridge and just end it all right now <laughs> i'm sure i mean i've we've all got had those thoughts right where it's like what would happen if i jump like that you picture yourself like jumping off right you've you've done that before haven't you i mean i'm not the only one right like like or especially like as a kid you know like thinking like if i could just open that door right now i would just fly out of this car <laughs> you know just be all over so i'm i'm like thinking i go what if it's what if there isn't a sp-? so i was thinking about how there are unexplainable things. I was thinking about the paranormal. I think I might have been listening to something, but the idea that there are things that we can't explain, but is it paranormal? Is it a parallel dimension or is it a fabric or, of our imagination? Now, okay, now I know what I was thinking about. I was thinking about my wife. She told me that somebody in the community on Facebook posted about how <laughs> their kid, their kids, every night at the same time were screaming in their room about how no there i think they were saying something like no more children no more children something like that these little kids and she was asking about if anybody knew anyone that could i think do an exorcism or something like that or or, or purge the house or something cuz she's tried sage and she's tried everything else and and it it doesn't seem to work for the kids cuz every single night at the very same time, the kids freak out about something that they're seeing. And I thought, I've, you know, I've just been playing around with the idea of like the paranormal. Is it actually something or is it a fabric of our imaginations? Did people back then when, you know, the earliest civilizations, were they also experiencing poltergeist activity or something? Is it a parallel dimension or is it all you know what i'm saying like is it all bullshit we've gone over this a few i think it's all bullshit to be honest <laughs> just because just because like if you had a graph of like how often it's reported and how important those claims tend to be in what mm. people believe mm-hmm. versus the introduction of video and camera like yeah. as those two things meet you know um like the, the introduction of camera and video almost invalidated so then i've never heard a convincing enough argument of like well, ever since everyone has a video camera in their pocket now, this is why ghost sightings are less frequent as opposed to more frequent. I got you. And it's always like, oh, the ghosts know that the camera's out to capture their souls, so they're hiding behind, you know, that old piano. They don't come out and scare you anymore. They're they're hiding from you because they don't want to have their, their soul captured by the camera. But, I mean, there's no real good example. And the same for exorcisms, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to, like, track down the actual exorcist videos but I mean, some of them just kind of range from, ob- you know, obviously fake to ones where you just kind of end up feeling bad for the people involved, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, those cases really... where people were starved to death, bro, where they were like malnourished and neglected and they died from that, not from some demonic possession. But it's just something I was thinking about because there are phenomena that we don't know that we can't explain. Like, what is ball lightning? I'm sure there's an explanation, but weird stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like weird stuff like that. Like yeah, a yeah. ball lightning. Imagine you're walking in the Everglades one day and you're looking around and there's like this, just a ball of lightning just coming towards you. You'd freak out. You wouldn't know what to think. If you're some Indian back then, bro, you're in the wilderness. <laughs> is that racist to say? Some Indian back then? <laughs> no, and you know what, what else is was interesting? Because we're we were talking about doing some deep dives on Florida uh recently. Oh, we're gonna do sure. deep dives. And and see, this is like when all my conventional knowledge comes from Google and Wikipedia and, and basically just skimming the surface, but it's all like Western academia. That's the source of like mm. 90% of, you know, most of the research, especially when it comes into Florida. 
But one of the interesting notes was that um, pretty much none of the Native Americans that lived here in Florida had any sort of written language. Every single thing was just all verbal communication. They didn't have, you know, um, any they didn't have any written documents uh, of any kind. So when you would talk about seeing like some kind of crazy ball lightning, you know, it, like there's no other path for it to take other than that game of telephone where the dude comes back from the Everglades <laughs> and he's describing this ball lightning and then his buddy tells someone else about it. And that guy tells, you know what I mean? But yeah. you can almost be like if you don't actually have any sort of written document that doesn't change and it's the same every time someone reads it, uh, just imagine like how wildly those things can spin out. And, and Manly P. Hall, I think, actually mentions in one of these issues here how a lot of certain cultures talked almost exclusively in metaphors uh, because of this exact sort of phenomena where they didn't have written languages. So metaphors oh. just made everything easier because if everyone just talked in terms of nature and, and weather and gods, then they could share the same words as, you know, normal things. That or at least through. the same symbols, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the, the, the universal language which is the mathematics. They talk about that being the universal language. And yeah, it's really interesting. I was just thinking about that today about how it might all be bullshit. And this isn't even a simulation. It's just life. And we try to connect dots where there's no dots to be connected. But that's just, that's just me, dude. <laughs> so, so he's got a couple other quotes in this uh, abstractions that I'll, I'll read out. Go ahead. Uh, Cause I think that they, they uh, kind of emphasize what we we're just talking about. So one of them says that we know people who have realizations and who are living in the light and who are saved. And when they say these things, they say everything for they couldn't explain the process to save their own neck. And they've accepted some sort of mental aphorism or tied themselves to a parrot-like concept and use it as the basis of their salvation. And we're very sorry for them, but they don't seem to be very sorry for themselves. So we can't do anything else for them. Yo, so he, he's mentioned like, bro. <laughs> like, even if you've got your positive affirmation mantras, and I think one of his examples was like, everything's fine um you know everything's gonna be fine every day i'm getting better and smarter and greater and he kind of is saying in a subtle way like sometimes that's bullshit sometimes that's not actually true and you're just telling yourself that and if you keep telling yourself that it's not actually a good thing mm. uh, which I, I don't know it, it's funny because he's got this this uh equal mixture of positivity but also being very critical like blunt uh, not just blunt but very critical about about it and as you know as you know about his life as he goes on some of this sounds very hypocritical in retrospect but yeah. I mean this being his the the second volume of the first thing that he ever really kind of like committed to writing consistently you can see he's very ambitious here but then he, he mentions another thing he says there's no greater abstraction in the world um, than to say believe in God I've never met anyone who has the slightest idea of what God is and not one in a million knows the mental alchemy, which must be passed in order to hatch such a belief. Uh, so I, I like this one there. I can't remember uh, who, which community I want to say it's Doug Stanhope, but he's got this, uh, this bit where it's like, if you had never heard of the Bible before, you've never heard of Jesus. You never heard of God, the old Testament, just none of it. You know what I mean? Like just a normal day and you know, everything you know now, but there's just no such thing as the Bible. And you walk into a bookstore and you pull out the Bible on a shelf and you just start thumbing through it. Like, would you actually pick up on it and say like, Hey, this book's actually making a lot of good points. I think this might be the legitimate origin of life and the story of like how we were all created. Or would you just kind of think like, Oh, that's a kind of a weird 
old outdated fiction story and just kind of plop it back on the shelf um so i think that there's, there's a little bit of uh sort of like relation between those two things where this the mental alchemy that it requires to even conjure up the entire system of religion that most people when they say they believe in god it's really just that they've figured out a way that they can fit themselves into that pattern and kind of like live you know nicely with it yikes yeah yeah i, I agree with that he's he's calling people and that's why i'm asking you about the whole is it all bullshit thing because of things just like that where it's like is it a are you conjuring this up yourself or was it an actual thing because some people eat live breathe and die by certain beliefs by these abstractions right by these these things that they will never be flat earth they're never gonna be able to prove it but the math is there thomas the math you gotta trust the math <laughs> i i think that argument is unique though man i mean the the flat earth argument because it's not it's not really about flat earth you the glober earth argument to me yeah man, i don't know i don't think i'm a glober you but fucking glober dude but to me the flat earth argument is is all of history a lie um, because that one is way harder to prove, in my opinion, than the curvature yeah. of the globe. Uh-huh. But if you could prove that, then man, like I mean, like the you know, all bets are off. Like Dude, my but... my mind is now open to anything you want to throw at me. Didn't we just do a deep dive on NK Ultra where literally they try to cover that up and it backfired on them? And if if they would if it wouldn't have been uncovered by that secretary, whoever the assistant that went into the room and found all those boxes. What if they would have burned all those boxes? Imagine the boxes that they did burn, right? And that they have burned all the emails that have been deleted that haven't been that they haven't been able to recover. You know what? I, you know it's what I'm a saying? Question that'll it'll plague me forever. Like, why didn't they just burn those boxes when they found them? It's like, and I can't figure out the answer to that. I mean, we're, we're still talking the '70s, right? So it's not like. It's yeah. not like that was all on camera and they had all been scanned and it was on some crypto blockchain and it was the cat was out of the bag. Like the cat was not out of the bag. You know, an assistant found him in a room and they could have just and, and and that's an oversimplification of like all the steps in between. Yeah. But if you think about today, how how hard would it be for the CIA Oof. to cover its tracks, even with everything <laughs> we've got going on, like they've got it down to a science. Mm-hmm. I think they had it down to a science then too, but maybe, maybe just like everywhere else in the seventies, right? Everyone was just kind of on Coke and, and drunk all the time. So it was a different era. And this is one of my favorite memes. What year is it? 50 BC. What does BC stand for before Christ? It was Christ. No fucking clue, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, 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 I posted that one a really long time ago and a bunch of people unfollowed me on my Instagram. But hey, it's all good, right? So, did you have anything else on the abstraction one? No, no, I'm, I'm ready to go for the next. All right, so here we are with this next section. The message of the great initiates. And this is something that I've talked about before where all these guys in history and antiquity were just all adepts. Yes, including Jesus Christ was also an adept. So an initiate, an ascended master, if you will. And that's really blasphemous and heretical, but... I mean, that's... And, and he says later in this series that that he believes these were all actual people that walked the earth uh, at some point in history. Every single one of these these great minds. And that's one of the interesting things about Manly P. Hall, right? With the whole Atlantean thing. You think he was yeah. pushing a psyop, bro? Do you think Atlantis <laughs> is a psyop, or do you think it's just another thing for people to play around with? As far as 
ideas go because it seems that as humans we like to play these mental gymnastics i don't know if it's to keep us on our on our feet right to constantly be thinking about something or at least not not everybody cares some people don't give a shit about what happened in the past i know people who literally are just like what does it matter dude what does it matter what the egyptians were doing what does it matter what quetzalcoatl was doing and hermes <laughs> trismegistus I mean, at some level, it, it kind of doesn't. But if you don't, if you don't care, and nobody cares what Hermes Trismegistus was doing, um, then like that's kind of the trajectory of back towards sort of just like hitting each other over the head and fighting over a slab of meat. You know what I mean? Like, if read the again, first like, one, bro. If it's a spectrum, so I've got a uh, Hermes was the one too. It says Hermes, the great Atlantean demigod probably if not actually the greatest illuminator of mortal man taught as key of his philosophy the analogy um so and he, he goes on about analogies in different ways about it the relationship exists between the inferior and superior being the basis of his doctrine and the knowledge of the simile was man's first revelation hermes is often called the first messenger of god because he's the oldest that we know of and his law of analogical reasoning is the basis of every philosophy of modern times the essence of his teaching was that man uh was that god and man were made in the same mold and all things in the lower and in the lesser were made after the same pattern in the greater so this is the as above so below um but this being the first messenger that that kind of brought that down and essentially there he's saying here that as above so below is like that analogy portion of the sat test uh, at the very end like the word pairings <laughs> i don't but that's essentially you know hermetic philosophy i think i took the sat like one time or it might have been a practice do you, do you remember the, the word pairings though that i'm talking about no i don't that's what i'm trying to think bro but it you're a lot older like, than me too it would be like big is to elephant as small is to and then it would give you like four options thomas's penis would, you know, small yeah, is they, to. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a i got a, a long story about that one too about your penis yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that and for the Patreon. Okay, awesome. So we have Orpheus, the how do you say that? Gre Grecian, is that Grecian. Grecian demigod, top man, the law of harmony, and the great work of harmonizing the spiritual and material qualities within his own soul. The seven string lyre of Orpheus represents the seven major rates of vibration known to consciousness at this time. Upon these rates of vibration, which are the basis of form thought growth and culture his philosophy was based his seven string lyre represent or liar i think it's how you say it representing the solar system and the seven centers in the human body and upon this he taught man to play the harmony of nature and the music of the spheres a this harmonization of the centers of consciousness was the redemption of the human soul eurydice interesting what's eurydice I mean, what is that Eurydice, I think. I think it's a guy's name. Wow, I'm an idiot. Okay, Eurydice. And cool. th and there's something in here that's that goes kind of unspoken, and that's the uh, the concept of categorization, which was like another big quantum leap in sort of like human thought and philosophy was just figuring out how to categorize things. It was a was character in Greek mythology in the Alunoiad, Alunoiad, Aulo Niad, wife of Orpheus. What does that even mean? There were all oh, there were nymphs who were found in mountain pastures and vales, often in the company of Pan, the god of nature. 
and uh, who tried to bring her back from the dead with his en- enchanting music. Interesting. So, and this is the that same concept too, right? That like vibration brings matter into being and oh, brings consciousness yeah. into being. I like that. So, so he brought her back through. Okay, I get it. Yeah, it's it's the rebirth from. I'm, I'm gonna vibrations and harmony and and when they say harmony too, they also mean the the establishment of what like disharmony is. And I think Manly P. Hall at the very end in some other place he he talks about um, how disharmony is essentially like friction, like the friction that happens when things are uh, not how they're supposed to be. Right on, right on. I love it. Uh, we have here the third one or the one that you picked it wasn't you didn't go with krishna or buddha no, I, I skipped all the way yeah krishna buddha Muhammad, it's kind of yeah, racist yeah. bro they're all they're all good and all like well i guess the the qualities that he's picking out from muhammad is just like blind <laughs> blind faith and uh you know like <laughs> obedience to a god and then moses is about just like taking that beating like when god says i'm gonna drown everyone you know just like taking it on the chin that's essentially i mean he says moses taught the children of israel in the ancient world the omnipotence of law justice without mercy the impersonality of law like this is basically like how's that boot taste that's that's what he's saying that those who would break the law are themselves broken upon it yeah i see what you mean well and and uh that line stuck out to me too again i think later in this volumes he mentions that it's not actually that people were breaking God's laws. It's that like they thought they were breaking the law, but what was happening is they were going against the law and then the law was breaking them. Mm. Uh, He he mentions that in like, interesting, like in a snarky, in a snarky way. You want to read Zoroaster? So this is the great founder, the faith of the Pharisees and the fire King of Persia who taught the doctrine of light and said the sun and flame were the most precious things in the universe. Uh, teaching that building of the fire within the soul of the individual the fire burns in man is the eldest of all flames the man dependent on fire and this fire is divine essence of god himself yada 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 blah blah this is initiates of the flame this is pretty much exactly (laughs) where uh, manly p hall lifted that concept from and he doesn't say you know promethean or prometheus in here but essentially we're talking about that same concept the promethean fire which mm-hmm. it's like manly p hall's favorite sort of trope to go back to especially as you start going you know towards all the rest of his writings like prometheus is that dude um you know lucifer that's the the, the light bearer right that comes up very frequently in that same exact context absolutely yeah and for those that don't know the first episode of the occult book club was on initiates of the flame so check that out we have here Daddy Plato. Plato's doctrines were based upon the principles of logic, and he taught his disciples the orderly creation, the logical creation, the, and the reasonable in the universe. He taught a geometrical base of all growth and instructed his followers that the universe, God, man, and nature are mathematical units capable of exact analysis. But I wonder where Plato got it from. Oh, that's right. He got it from Pythagoras. I'm surprised he didn't put Pythagoras in here, by the way, where... Well, I've I've heard a. I mean, I can't remember who told me this, but sometimes a lot of what Manly P. Hall writes is a, is also what he doesn't write. So when you see that, like he's got a list, it's like the Forbes list, right? You ever heard like in the Forbes <laughs> list where it's like here's the hundred richest people in the world, and you know that there's someone that's not on that list that's yeah. even richer than the number one, 
And that's how you know that they're so rich that they don't even, you know, they, they know who to pay off to not make the list of rich people. So I think there's some unwritten names in a lot of these lists that uh, Manly P. Hall comes up with. Like you got to, you know, you got to know to know. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm seeing it, bro. I'm seeing it. It's all right, dude. So we have your favorite, your boy here. Of course, you were going to highlight this one. Jesus. The no. one teacher. <laughs> no, he he mentions uh, Hiram Abiff, which, um, again, this is like early on into Manly P. Hall's writings and even in, just in his studies in general. And once he actually becomes like an honorary Freemason, he just ceases talking about masonry at all in general. And I think a lot of his influence of masonry comes from what he reads from Albert Pike. And that kind of stands out in a lot of different places, but here he writes, Hiram Abiff, the great Masonic idol and ideal taught in his unspoken life, the doctrine of human regeneration. Um, and then he, he mentions that uh, only transmutation lays the path of immorality or immortality and every human quality must be transmuted into a divine and eternal thing. I mean, he's, he's talking alchemy here, which is kind of an interesting language because he's he mentions that, I think, too, in like the, the Buddha one, but here it's almost all kind of alchemy that he's talking about. So uh, I'm just always intrigued by Manly Palmer Hall's combination of like masonry and alchemy when he starts like mixing words like that, because it feels like there's something else to this description. And this is just like a very brief version of it. So before we go any further, I want to I want to say, bro, because I'm, I'm reading something here. The light bearers are incidences incidents and can receive our respect and veneration but the light is the thing which we should worship and not the one who brings it that's really interesting because for the next occult book club i want to do the secret of the golden flower let me see i'll make sure i got the name right i'm pretty sure it's that yeah the yeah the secret of the golden flower i want to do that for the next occult book club and it's all about the light it talks a lot about bending the light and all this stuff. And here he is. This is obviously probably influenced by that. Where how you're saying this Lucifer figure, this Prometheus figure, where he gave man the forbidden thing, which was the fire. You know, the Titans were pissed off at him. But here he says to worship the light and not the one who brings it. So inter interesting choice of words there. But what would you expect, right? Yep, you got to read between the lines, right? Mm -hmm. So moving on here, we have this. These are stories. I'm not 100 percent on. Yeah, to, to be honest, I, I think that for some of the stories, I'd rather do like um like maybe a separate episode where we just talk about the different stories that he goes through. But yeah. for, for pretty much all these, I just kind of skipped the fictional stories. At least well, my notes on fictional right okay yeah because <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a i don't know if there's a whole lot of like you know hardcore manly palmer hall fans that are uh you know fighting in comments over like no this is all legitimate you know this is all real well dude i mean i'm a big manly p hall fan but some of the stuff he does and says pisses me off too you know and i've listened to hours and hours and hours of his lectures and dude, I don't. Not on one X, I hope. No what? Not on one X, I hope. Sometimes you can't mess with the delivery of the message, bro. <laughs> that's the that's the thing, dude. Not for real. You can't. Sometimes if it was meant to be 
relayed in that format or in that certain speed, I sometimes keep it. Depends on what I'm listening to. Sometimes I'll keep it. If I'm if I'm studying a material, I won't speed it up because I need to be able to intake it. But this guy, man, I mean, we've talked about it, where he's just sitting there, he's just going on and on and on, no notes, bro. What in the world, dude? Uh, so uh, take take a look at this because I wanna I wanna read the description on the other in the other on the next issue. And then I want to do the one that he describes in this one because I actually have a story behind that one. But this oh, yeah, the, uh, the plate description you're talking about. Yeah, the plate. So just intake you got was it you can consider this mercury, right? Or this is the the microcosm and macrocosm that he's that they're showing. We'll, we'll get into it. But this character right here that's that, that's that's like a like a Herm, a Mercury or Hermes, right? Sure. Okay. Whatever. Fuck you, Thomas. So description of the last month's play, I'll bring that up here in a second. But uh, he, I like when he's asking for money, dude. Did you read all the parts where he's like, listen, we need your support. We can't do it without you. And here he is asking the notice of subscribers. We must therefore ask you to cooperate further with us in this matter and assist in securing a greater number that the necessary printer's bills may be paid. And we trust that the next six months of this magazine will meet your approval. You know how that is, man. Uh, you know, begging people for money so you can print your book. I mean, that's uh, not a lot has changed in a hundred years. Yeah, exactly. But it's just I, just imagining him asking people for money. I know later on in his life it wasn't hard getting money because they were just like throwing it at him. But I think. Uh, there was some shady stuff going on with him too, bro. You think you think Manly P. Hall is a lizard person, dude? A lizard person? Uh, I mean, if if lizard people exist, then I would say he would have to have been one of them. I'll, I'll <laughs> leave it at that. Wait, so a paranoid American doesn't believe in lizard people? Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, say if I do believe in lizard people, then I would say Manly Palmer Hall was probably a lizard person. All right, all right. LP Hall was a lizard person. So here we are, bro. You can read the first one. We have the the questions and answers department. Well, so I didn't even I didn't even care about the what is a soul and does our life belong to us. I was interested in in a couple of the different ones, but one of is what is free will. And this and I guess this is before where when Manly Palmer Hall was talking about don't believe anyone when they say that they've got the truth and they're just kind of like being vague. I mean, I guess to his credit, he's not vague here. He's like very matter of fact, but also just like the confidence that he's got as he's making these claims uh, without, you know, going into any detail, just like the simplistic answers, <laughs> like the balls on this guy. Right. But I guess at the same time, if you're writing this sign and you're claiming to have all this like esoteric knowledge and you're breaking stuff down for people, you don't want to come across as being unsure of your own, you know, interpretations. So there's not a lot that he writes that doesn't sound like this matter of fact answers, but so what is free will? And according to Manly P hall, like, here's the end, like, here's the answer. Like, you don't have to worry about all of the thousands of, uh, of, you know, years of philosophy or anything. Just here's the answer. Finally, God alone has free will. Man has the power of choice. Ignorance is the limiting factor in free will so that the greater number of things we know the greater our area of choice until as gods knowing all we have the choice of all so he's basically saying that if you know everything if uh you know if you're omniscient then you just become a god so i guess that's like once you be 
once you become so enlightened that you've got every bit of information, then you technically become omnipotent as mm. well. Uh, I guess. I don't know if I, I believe that, uh, but I, I just love how he's like, nope, pretty much like people don't have free will. God has free will. People have choices. And, uh, you know, the amount, like what you see as free will just depends on the options that you create for yourself. We have our all individual experiences preserved answer. Yes, they are. Yep. They are the bias of soul growth and are stored up to this in the centers of bodies until we have built the necessary faculties to read them. Interesting. So he's talking about, it's like an Akashic Records, right? Yeah. And, and I think in some of the later ones, he starts talking about like they're stored in the atoms and they're stored in the matter and um, some like he gets even more specific about it. But I, I almost want to just stop this one of like, are all individual experiences preserved? Yes move on like he like he just gave me the answer you know <laughs> next <laughs> i, I kind of love that matter of fact way that he answers these i wonder who's um, I, I wonder who's actually writing in asking these questions we have the next one here let's see here. Well, so, so the one that i wrote down was should we use our astrology colors uh and i think that that's like the the real question there is like should i live my life by you know like horoscopes and stuff and he says we should use everything we can but not spend too much time harmonizing vibrations. If we do, we'll have no time left for work and labor produces much better growth than color harmony. Never use any such means, however, as astrology, talisman, magic, um, etc., to gain over other people in financial, spiritual, or material matters. To do so is black magic. So but, but you see what he says there, right? To gain over other people. <laughs> so... As long as you don't do it to gain over other people, you're in the clear type of thing. Right? I, I just love that you can read here that he's like this capitalist new agey guy. So like he believes in horoscopes and he believes in uh, what he says is harmonizing your vibrations, but also like he's a capitalist at heart. hundred percent. I mean, like he, he wants you to go to work and you know, God helps those who help themselves. He, he repeats that very often over and over. It's like um, Kim Kardashian. It's like, Women are asking me what they need to do, whatever it was, that whole thing for a long time. She's like, get your ass up and get to work or something like that. It's like a... <laughs> and people That's are Daddy Hall, bro. Daddy Hall, he gets his ass up and then he sits it back down and he reads the book for freaking 12 hours and then he lectures you on, on you should uh, work hard. Because like, at this time, he was about to be supported by the Sugar Mamas, bro. The I think he already was. He was here yet. What, was he here yet? I don't think he was here yet. Was he? Oh, we'll look it up. Anyways, read the next one. I'll look it up. Uh, so, please explain the crucifixion. Uh, and he doesn't actually explain the crucifixion. He just focuses on the word. And he says, the word crucifixion means a crossing. The crossing of spiritual and material currents forms bodies. And these bodies crucify and seek to destroy the life which is within or hanging upon them. Uh, and he also mentions not in this one, but later on that um, that his interpretation of a cross or a crucifix is the meeting of four infinite triangles, uh, which I thought was kind of a, a cool way to, to put it. Here we go, bro. During the early 20s, Caroline Lloyd and her daughter Estelle, members of a family who controlled an oil field in Ventura County, California, began sending sizable portion of their oil income to Hall. With these donated funds, Hall traveled within Europe and Asia 
to study the lives, customs, religions of the uh, the people there, and the, well, that, that's the next that's issue. The bro. Next that's the next issue. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see the uh, the very real effects of of the the sugar mama's money just starts rolling in. So Hall he, he hits he hits he hits the world, and he's like goes on a worldwide vacation while visiting London. In, uh, London, England, in the early 1930s, Hall acquired a substantial collection of rare books and manuscripts about alchemy and esotericism from an auction agent at Sotheby's. Owing to economic conditions resulting from the Great Depression, he acquired the collection for a price much lower than normal. Caroline Lloyd died in 1946, and in her, and in her will left Hall a house, 15000 cash, which I'm going to look up to see how much that was, and an annual percentage of her family's oil field shares. Damn, dude. Valued at approximately ten thousand per year for the next thirty-eight years. Yeah, so he, he never had to work uh for those next thirty-eight years. And this and this is not including the income that he actually gets from going on the road and talking and publishing books and dude. This is just to keep so him, keep him paid and fat. This is wild. $15,000 in 1946 was the equivalent to $228,313 with 85 cents. <laughs> I mean, if, if someone wanted to drop that on me, I could just focus on comics for, you know, nothing but comics. For Nobody's dropping that on you, year, Thomas. Nobody's doing that, dude. Hit, hit me up, patreon.com slash paranoid American. <laughs> Wow, dude. This dude was an instant almost he was a thousand air almost instantly, you know, uh before he was even thirty years old. So I can see how he was was able to do all this. Cause I've always wondered, bro, how some people go so hard in the paint, but you got people who don't have podcasts who can just focus on one topic at a time, you know what I mean? Yeah, they don't have that that uh, brutal backbreaking podcast work to take up all of their uh, their time. No, it's not that. It's that I I have something that I call cult ADHD, where ADD or something, where I can't focus on one topic at a time for a very long time because I want to start. I'll be researching three or four topics at a time, and you know this, dude. How many how many days? How many weeks have we been at it about recording the next occult book club and I haven't been able to because I've been reading other things and haven't been reading what I need to be reading. So you're you're a witness, dude. Uh, you heard it here first. Yeah, that's One right. One is the reason for the, uh, the slow trickling. <laughs> but it's not like we don't podcast together. You know what I mean? Like we still do podcasts. That's right. Well, if it's on, if it's on Tartaria or Werewolves, you're, we're down. <laughs> <laughs> or Jeffrey so th this Dahmer. Was the, this was the next one to uh, synthetic sympathy, and uh, this I think is a good example of what I was just talking about, where you've got this mix of like New Ageism, but also a combination of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, like something like your dad would tell you when you, you haven't had a job for like two weeks, and he wants you to start putting applications back in. Like he kind of he kind of rubs off in that same way. And this article, he he talks. Uh, and this is a little bit controversial. Like, I'm not sure um, how much I, I agree with the exact things that he says here. But basically, he's saying that there's three main emotions um, in human, like, human emotions have this, like, range of three main things that he breaks it down into. Mercy, compassion, sympathy. And he says that mercy's good, compassion's good, but that sympathy is, like, the horrible one. And the sympathy is, like, an enemy. So 
essentially says mercy is the transmutation of selfishness arrogance and the ever-present instinct in the human soul which condemns unheard um so so mercy is basically humility and you know putting yourself not first and you know kind of considering others that's sort of the the mercy aspect compassion is the transmutation of passion in which the fire of lust and greed is transmuted into deep understanding a deep calling from the soul a great love born for the lesser love blah 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 blah. this is like action not just sympathizing with someone but having compassion for them and then he talks about sympathy and this is i mean this is where he kind of gets into the paint and he says the third is sympathy which in itself a betrayer of mercy and compassion and there's nothing more at fault in all the universe than sympathy which is like that <laughs> that line right there taken out of context sounds so extreme <laughs> to me right there's nothing more at fault in all of the universe than sympathy sympathy is the lullaby of endeavor it's the death rattle of opportunity and those who use it as a power play havoc with the plan where others sympathize with us we continue in our errors fostering them instead of destroying them nursing them instead of removing them this is that like stop babying the child you know uh dear because i'm maintained for the rest of my life (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's it's kind of rich when you realize that like the very next step like as he was writing this he was just getting this uh this check for yeah 200 k cuts to him <laughs> in the not in ten thousand a year which is probably an equivalent to for the re- for 38 years ten thousand a year was one hundred and fifty two thousand dollars a year dude the equivalent to that so, so not nothing not nothing. Yeah, this dude was set, bro. I mean, he became one of the greatest, greatest occult. You... He, he makes good points, though. He makes good points. Sure. And I, and I think <laughs> I, I do think hypocrites can make good points. Like you can still learn something from a hypocrite mm-hmm. saying things that are true wisdom, just because they themselves. It would it would just be like if uh, like an idiot heard you know like the the formula to some math equation. And could recite it enough to, you know, transfer it from one non-idiot to another non-idiot. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that the idiot is now smart um, because they were able to transfer some kind of arcane and complicated knowledge. But you know, they were involved in that process. Yeah. Go, go ahead with the next one. Uh, so he says, "Man must be inspired in his efforts instead of being sympathized with in his ailments." The philosopher of old never sympathized with a crying child, but sought to teach him the lesson of his fall. Uh, I like that one. I mean, that one, it makes sense. Again, it's just like tough love is kind of what he's describing here and how, you know, he's opposed to to sympathy in general, which I still, I just like, I like the concept of like angry daddy hall. Um, And then he, (laughs) he does this a lot. This is one of my favorite things that he, we're going to see him do constantly where he's like, there's two kinds of people in this world, and I, and I always read it like it's like uh, like an angry radio like scolding host. you, and it, yeah, and and uh, the name of this guy is probably before your time. And there's a guy named Mickey Rooney who used to come on like one of the news channels, and he was just always ranting about things that sounded like they could have been jokes, and maybe they were, but he legitimately got angry about it, uh, like you know, 
um, why, why do they call them parkways and driveways when you, you know, drive in a parkway and you park in a driveway? But like, <laughs> he would legitimately sound like he was getting angry about it. And it's like the, the Peter Griffith, you know, what really grinds my gears? I think it was kind of like the OG version of that. But anyway, Manly B. Hall makes these, these uh, claims constantly where he's just like putting people in the buckets. And he's, so he says, there's two kinds of people in the world. One is the kind that are always bewailing, and the other group is the one that's eternally trying to find a real reason for the ever-changing conditions of life. So, like, the way he's describing it, it's just like, you're either just, like, a big baby just crying all the time and whining, or you're, like, getting down to business and you're figuring out the truth of all life. Um, which, I don't know, I, I don't know if I fit everyone that I know into those two buckets exclusively. Get yourself a sugar mama. I love how he does it, man. I mean, he, he again, he states it so matter-of-factly. You know, there's two kinds of people in this world. Um, so, yeah, the, I'm going to highlight. Every time I see he says that, I'm going to highlight those, and we'll cover them. And I like this part here. When a great prince of Egypt died, they hired mourners to weep at the tombs in great processions of white-clad figures howled and wailed behind the funeral. Cortege, as I said, cortege for so many pieces of silver a day so it's like is are these crisis actors bro are these the og crisis actors where when when the when the egyptian prince died they would come out the richer the family of the departed the more weepers were hired so that when a great dignitary died in the streets it literally ran with tears which were paid for at so much per <laughs> what the fuck yeah and like and like if if you could tr- i mean i he he makes a point here sort of between the lines too but you could technically raise your kids to just know how to cry better than other kids. And now mm. they kind of be like a shoe in like your entire profession, your, your yeah. career for life could just be, you cry for people. And I don't know how common the fucking that is. bootlicker dude. In, uh, well, I don't know if it's common in, in your religion, but I know that, that when most of my family members end up dying and going through like the Catholic church system on the way out, there's always like a little line item that you can check to pay a little bit extra and they'll legitimately send like four or six or eight, um, you know, criers to go and just kind of like cry a little bit louder to like, you know, puff up the numbers in the pews. Really? You ever heard about that? Yeah. It's it's still to this day. It's still a very, Oh, I don't say very common, but I mean, it's, it's common enough of a practice that, you know, it's not like this ancient thing that gets, rolled out only when the most esoteric you know old person in your family dies it's kind of a a typical thing usually for people that don't have larger families to kind of like puff out the the numbers yeah i I did not know that bro it's news to me you want to go with the next one here yep seven natural laws so uh and again like i don't know if this are if these are his seven natural laws or if these are seven natural laws that he's amalgamated from other sources uh it's not always 100% clear but he says that uh and and I actually yeah the the part that you've got highlighted at the bottom I'm going to read that part first before we even go over them it says these are the seven laws in which occult students must deal in their daily life and with which they must learn to familiarize themselves with that they may adjust their lives to the concepts and harmony with them. And only a man or woman who is at peace is the one who is harmonious with the plan of his being. So if you want to be harmonious and if, I mean, if you want to know the truth, right, <laughs> the abstract truth that like he's kind of getting here, uh, you have to know these seven laws and essentially abide by them. Um, which I, I, 
I don't know if I if I like all seven of these laws, but that just might be me not liking rules in general. <laughs> so he says the law of evolution. Everything in the universe is at some stage of an endless path leading from absolute nothingness to perfect omnipotence. And everything in the universe is greater today than yesterday and will be greater still tomorrow, which is almost exactly the opposite and what he was chastising people for in, uh, in the abstractions. Because he literally says in the abstractions, one of those examples is people that are like, Oh, you know, don't worry. Things get better every day. And here he is in the very next issue talking it's about gonna the be law of evolution. And I, and I guess just at a, at a premise, I'm not sure if I believe in this general concept that everything is constantly on their way to getting better. Like there's such thing as de-evolution, right? Things uh, like mm. the fall of Rome. Like sometimes things are getting better. The, the Tower of Babel, sometimes things get kind of good and then they crash down and they get bad. So yeah. it's not just like everything's constantly getting bigger. Um, but you know, it depends on how far you want to zoom in or how far you want to zoom out on if it looks like it's an absolute disaster or if things just look normal. I agree. Um, I agree with I agree with you on that because we can't just assume that right things are going to follow a regimen, right? Because they tell us it is like the whole Darwinism and all that stuff. We know that that's a psyop because the guys behind that, right? I mean, you're you're doing research on it. You know what I'm talking about. We're not allowed to talk about that anymore. Yeah, we're not allowed to talk about it, but it's true. So he he goes on and he talks about the law of compensation or karma. As you sow, um, so shall you reap. Every cause you start in motion, every thought, every action, good or bad, has an unavoidable result and reaction. Um, To me, this is, again, this is a little bit abstract. Like, all right. Every action has a reaction, but uh, like, what does that mean exactly? Like, <laughs> are you talking about if I said a mean thing that now I'm going to go to hell or I'm going to get reincarnated as a cricket or like what exactly <laughs> is that, you know, reaction and the way that he's, he says it here, it's almost like, well, he knows um, and you should know, but I don't know. I, I Sometimes I get that feel. So I'm, I'm going to yeah. call him out on out daddy hall some of these very matter of fact right the law of polarity everything in the universe expresses itself through two poles positive and negative the law of polarity... everyone fits into these two groups <laughs> the law of polarity teaches that the work of man is to establish himself at a neutral point exactly between the two poles which position is the place of balance hence omnipotence oh okay so, so this one's uh i i, I agree with this it makes sense right it makes sense. It seems very obvious, but uh, remember back when he was talking about free will and that only God um, has it, <laughs> like only God has it, but that humans, it all depends on like what your spectrum of options are. Right. Mm. But this again, like this law of polarity, it's almost like, does that mean if the, I'm a, a, a good person, right? Like I know what good and evil is. And I kind of like, you know, meter myself between the two. But if I all of a sudden learn about something like, you know, Dahmer, like all of a sudden now I know what Jeffrey Dahmer is and like Dahmer's whole backstory. Does my middle point like shift a little bit more evil now because (laughs) of the law of polarity? So, uh, and I might be, you know, I might be taking that too literal, but again, it's like, if you start learning about, you know, staring into the abyss constantly. Your horizons start to widen and widen and widen and then those poles start to shift. Yeah. 
Well, and, and also what you considered like, you know, normal vanilla middle of the lane might all of a sudden like you come out of your your hermit hole after like three years of like the most extremist research and what you consider normal is like so far beyond what anyone else would consider it. So, and we know that inf- information changes people too, right? So how you're saying the more you learn, the more that could be adjusted and your ideologies because look at all these guys, right? We talked about Kaczynski on the last episode we recorded and how you said he wasn't always all crazy. That came after the fact, after they probably did some MK Ultra stuff on him. So who knows? Absolutely. So they got the uh, the law of period, period, periodicity. Periodicity? <laughs> periodicity? The law of periodicity demands that after every expenditure of energy, there must be a time of repose for the restoration of lost power. We see it in periods of sleeping, waking, winter and summer, life and death. Um, So this is Daddy Hall saying that naps are in accordance with, you know, God's (laughs) law. And that if you do want to seek enlightenment, naps are in line with this. I don't, I really don't nap, man. I wish I, I wish I did, but I don't. I nap sometimes. Not once you have kids, you can't really nap because. But, but a- see, you can drop that. It's I'm not taking a nap. I'm just adhering to the law of periodicity. No, I'm resting my. I always say I'm resting my eyes. My wife gets mad because I'm like, no, bro. I am going through a time of repose to restore my lost power. <laughs> Recharging <laughs> one's chi and just fuck. You fucking just sit there. <laughs> Like motherfucker. Yeah, I did that the other day. She's like, What are you doing? You're not going to sleep, are you? I'm like, No, 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 no. I'm just uh just resting my eyes and then I can't just power up. Bro, I was like this, and she's like, What are you doing? I start snoring, bro, as soon as I close my eyes. <laughs> so we have well, there's all those like sleeping patterns, right? Like Da Vinci and like a whole yes. number of them where they, they the cart. split their sleeping up into twelve different sections, and some of them was as little as just like a five minute or like a ten minute power nap. And they would never sleep for more than like 10 to 15 minutes at a time ever. You have Descartes, you have John D, which apparently only like slept like two hours a day or something like that. Freaking weirdo. Uh, Then we got the, uh, the law of alternation. Everything alternates between its poles. Uh, In successive births, man alternates in his forms from positive to negative for the laws of nature demand that we receive the benefit by the experience of both the positive and negative paths. And then it says, Every seventh swing in human evolution, we have a perfect type of a male or female form for these are the two extremes of the pendulum. And uh, as soon as I read that, my first thought was, what swing am I on now? Like, I don't feel like I'm on (laughs) swing seven. Um, But this specimen of a man. Like you was know. swing seven the last one, and now I'm explore, or is like, am I in swing six? And nah, dude. Gonna get. You're like, like swing what? two, at <laughs> okay. least. I'm glad to hear that. That leaves plenty of room for improvement <laughs> between now and, and number seven. And Puerto Ricans what? are swing one, a hundred percent. Well, so you think what what swing are you on personally right now? You on swing one? I think yeah, dude. We're too lazy to be any other swing. We're like the first. <laughs> we're like kicking it off like. Uh, like right like we're we're the first initial like push you know what i mean so hey maybe this is what hitler and all those guys were trying to do right they were trying to push for that next that seventh swing in i told you bro the 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 darwinism stuff is a psyop dude and i wonder i mean could could you apply some kind of like tesla um electricity magic here where you're not just 
limited to the swing of the pendulum, but every time it swings back, you use that like law of reverberation or whatever it is, like you know, so that like you're kind of building that momentum. Well, no, no, no. I'm going to stop you there because the reason why I want to do the secret of the golden flower is because it talks about how what exactly what you just said. I read today where motion from momentum is is unpredictable. Let me see if I can find it here. I'm going to look it up because it, it said something ju- just about that momentum too. that momentum was not good. Well, it, It's like the video of like the dudes jumping on the trampoline and like every time they jump all their friends. Here we go. And then like by the time they get to the 10th one, they're they're like 30 feet up in the air. Action caused by momentum is random action, not essential action. And that stood out to me because what you're saying, dude, therefore it is said that action influenced by things is human desire while action influenced by things. It sounds like something you'd read it on someone's like bathroom (laughs) when you walked in like above the hand towels. (laughs) What that that action caused by momentum is random action. Yeah. Yeah. N- not essential action. The new line of a bath decorations by Paranoid American. So uh, you do that. I think that'd be a good market, right? Like make cryptid inspired or conspiracy inspired like bathroom decorations for people. They do have like cryptid soap, so maybe I do need to move into that space, like some JFK yeah. Uh, yeah. like assassination soap. Yeah, MK Ultra uh, bath salts. I think that would yeah. <laughs> I think that would be a good idea. Actually, I like that idea. <laughs> so right, let's keep talking after this. Where where are we at here? Uh, so so we're on the law of harmony and rhythm, and that nature's divine plan is harmony, and that in harmony is the friction caused by bodies out of place. Uh, which I I like that visual. You know, if you if you imagine like, um, like one of those like weird art sculptures where it's like two combs that are like grazing back and forth and they all just have to like be perfectly aligned. And if just one little thing gets out of line, you know, the combs like scrape each other and it makes a big noise and, you know, maybe there'll be like sparks and, but essentially you're talking about friction because something's just not how it was designed to be. Um, that said, I my, one of my favorite, uh, this is something that my dad always used to say, like whenever we, you bring up like, Oh, the harmony of nature, and you'd be like, "Fucking nature didn't invent central AC," um, and and nature, you know, harmony of nature <laughs> is like, <clears throat> like the cat that just went out there and just tore up, you know, a nest of six baby bunnies, not because it was hungry or because it was, you know, because it was an asshole. Of nature, yeah, it was just it wanted to have fun and decided that like I just want to taste blood for thirty seconds and have fun with it and yeah. then move on to the next thing. Like that's that the harmony of nature is like a cat, you know, destroying a bunch of baby bunnies for fun. That's kind of that. So I, that like always keep that in mind, you know, when people bring up harmony of nature. That actually happened when I was a kid too. I had some bunnies and in Puerto Rico, <laughs> and my grandma put them in the garage. I remember, but the garage was it wasn't like a garage door. It was just like this gate, right? There's like this this gate where it's got the the bars on it. And a a cat got in it and tore the rabbit's head off. And just like that. And there was like blood everywhere. I remember that. It was blood everywhere. And now you're saying exactly that. It was just being an asshole. There was no reason for why that cat needed to do that. But it did. So (laughs) we have... And this is here... Cats are a good example, too, when people bring up like, oh, humans are the only 
species that like hurts each other like, like nope. nah bro like cats will just hurt other animals for fun because it's fun to them you have there's, cats? Other, there's plenty of other species uh i'm not right now but i've i have had cats and i've seen the different personalities yeah yeah uh, and, and here's another matter of fact hall the law of reincarnation this is the hardest doctrine for most people to accept <laughs> but everywhere in nature we see the necessity of it it is the only law we can find which explains the inequalities of temperament and the degrees of intelligence which we find in the world and at the same time retain a just theology. Either this law must be an actual fact or else the divine plan lacks the principles of justice and human equalities and suffering must have other cause than the whims of deity. This law is taught in three quarters of the world religions. This was religions. My, my favorite one too that he mentions here because... Uh, specifically this part where he says either this law must be an actual fact or else the divine plan lacks the principle of justice it's it's almost like like <laughs> i hope god's listening to me right now and it's like bro there better be some like bigger plan behind all this uh because otherwise this is really because i'll be damned yeah. i'll be damned if this isn't part of the plan all right yeah it's like i used to <laughs> Uh, and then I, what, what did and, I, and, and the way that he says too, though, where he says that, uh, it's the only law which we can find, which explains the in inequalities, um, and at the same time retain a just theology. Uh, so, I mean, it's again, it's kind of like saying like, we found it. This is the only answer. Uh, cause anything else just wouldn't, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't make sense based on these two premises here. And you, did you catch this, the, the fake, newspaper well i don't know if you notice that that's in every single issue yeah is yeah early gate is that yeah so i want to go up here real quick to the explanation of the plate where this name stood out right henry kunrath which is one of the greatest alchemists ever and this is actually volume one number six where because they they let you contemplate on it but here's this painting this alchemical plate and the story behind this is i it's he was one of the great medieval alchemists and kabbalists and supposed a member of ancient rosicrucian brotherhood and apparently the, the figure represents hercules and john man christ strangling the serpent of evil and exalting the serpent of wisdom so we have the little baby hercules there right he's got like two faces it says homo <laughs> it says homo at the top there but that's, bl that's blasphemous, bro. The this Henry Kunrath, I was actually so I had an interview lined up with this guy from this bookstore down south by Fort Lauderdale, and and I showed you the book. The it was like twenty something thousand dollars, and it was a copy of the Amphitheater of Eternal Wisdom by. Uh, Kunrath and I was gonna go and interview him and we were gonna flip through the alchemical plates and all this stuff and before like literally the morning that I was about to go down I texted him before I was gonna go down fucking ghosted me bro I was super excited I was like dude we're gonna we're gonna freaking got that call he got that call or he got that letter <laughs> that was delivered without the stamp on it you know what I mean the letter that was what it was it got delivered without a stamp on it like it was it was hand delivered and dropped off with the little wax seal yeah he said don't don't trust this guy he believes in lizard people 
So uh, at the top of the drawing, at the top of the drawing is represented the divine name Jehovah. Uh, the male and female third aspect of the logos and the god of material growth from him pour out the archetypes of 10 Sephira, the original 10 signs of the zodiac and powers of cosmic imp impetus all things first exist in archetype or cosmic plan before they are concreted in matter and I, i've been wanting to do this for this show specifically breaking down alchemical plates but the problem with these dude is that they're so they're so some of these are so wild that you don't even know what's going on. And again, here we have Manly P. Hall breaking this down like it's nothing. Like it's just another day in the office, dude. When, and just take an index of how many different languages yes. um, you're going to need to know just to decipher this one piece of paper. So there's there, there's Hebrew in here. There's Latin. There's probably there's some, some pig Latin in there too. There's something. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. And here this guy is. The little figure in the center has two heads. Like the one in last month's plate. These two represent the bride and the groom in the spiritual marriage and the completion of the eternal romance and the soul of man. The male head represents the spirit, the female head, the soul. In other words, the sun and moon or the blood of red lion and the gluten of the white eagle. So we have the red lion there that eats the alchemical sun. The ancients said that their immortal stone was made of moonstone and gold in certain proportions. I've always said this, the moonstone, the, the whole transmutation it was actually because of a meteorite. So, and gold in certain proportion, absorbed by the universal vinegar of prepared mercury. This alchemical process of transmuting the base qualities and perversions of powers into spiritual attributes, accomplishments, and qualities is the key to the sacred wisdom of the ancients. So, again, he goes on and on, but I wanted to bring it up because it was Henry Kunrath and that one guy freaking flaked on me. So, if you're listening to this, I forgot his name. You're an asshole, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, too, if if, uh, if Manly Palmer Hall ends up breaking down one of your plates in his magazine, that's like almost the equivalent of like getting on the Rogan show, right? I mean, I'll, except that all those guys are dead. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but kind of, sort of, yeah. <clears throat> Not dead, reincarnated, right? Re yeah, reincarnated. So here we are, dude. Finally made it. Well, and I, I was going to say, if you look at this one, first of all, how, how adorable is it that they've got like the little occult yep. astrological <laughs> symbols, uh, like woven into the, the Christmas decorations. And then if you I think this is alchemical symbols, bro. All right. And if you look at, well, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a potato, potato, no. Okay. And then at the bottom, it says Christmas number 1923. Hmm. Christmas number. Because this is like the the you know one thousand nine hundred twenty third Christmas essentially. Oh, I just got that and not did not catch that. Good catch, bro. Yeah, because it is right because it was it was AD. Well, huh. you're making the joke before, like what's BC? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I couldn't even get that. So I'm an idiot. You want to read this part because this is the part uh, that well, stood out so, to me. So yeah, so he's got a special note, and if you look at that, uh, like the third sentence down, it says he basically he's talking about he's gonna go onto this like big trip, and he's gonna cover uh, the entire trip will cover thirty eight thousand miles of land and sea, and from it I shall gain the material to complete work on two large books of symbolism, which I am now preparing and also for an occult encyclopedia, which is to follow shortly. I shall be in constant touch with the headquarters of my work. 
and the magazines and publications will appear just as I were at home all the time. So clearly some other people are going to take up the reins in his, uh, like, you know, the, the following issues. Um, but he doesn't necessarily give, you know, everyone credit for exactly what they contribute. So it still seems like it's all him. But when he talks here about the two large books and specifically the occult encyclopedia, which is the follow shortly, like this is him planning out the secret teachings of all ages, which is kind of cool to read um, as yep. like, you know, like, like this is but the before secret teachings. Yeah, I found that really, really fascinating me too, that he literally is talking about and also for an occult encyclopedia because people ask me all the time, oh, what should I read in order to get into all this occult stuff? And I always point them out to. You ever heard of Manly P. Hall and the secret teaching of all ages? Well, there you go. Start and, and with honestly, that. man, en encyclopedia is the best way to look at it too, because it's if someone wants to, you know, find out about, you know, World War One or something, mm -hmm. and you tell them go look it up in the encyclopedia, you're just gonna get like the most general, you know, simple version, but it'll be more or less, you know, um, kind of like a summary of it. And again, that's kind of what Secret Teachings is. He doesn't go into any one topic in so much depth that like all of the light is, you know, like he's completely unveiled this topic and there's, he's uh, decolted it entirely. It doesn't ever happen. It's really just this huge collection of a whole bunch of little things. And if that, if that book in particular doesn't pique your interest, then there's not a lot out there that will, but mm -hmm. if it does, then it's kind of like the, the starting point, you know, that's your gateway drug into grimoires and alchemy and all sorts of weird um, sort of like, neoplatonic philosophy and all kinds of stuff yeah because he literally he, he talks about where he went or where he's gonna go all throughout the world and how you're saying if that doesn't if that broader umbrella term doesn't pique your interest anything under that is just esoteric uh, you know esoteric so you need to find that one topic and focus in on that because it, it still falls under that big umbrella term. You, you get what i'm saying like grimoires well there's this type of grimoire there's this type, or magic there's talismanic magic there's grimoire magic alchemy or, 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 or yeah exactly right <laughs> so it's like you dip your toes in with that and if that doesn't pique your interest then just give up dude because it doesn't get any better from there you know what i mean you want to read this next part i mean it's kind of close to christmas right uh, yeah no the, it's close enough to christmas and also i, I was thought it was interesting not only that he had like the christmas design and everything but he goes all in on how awesome christmas is i think in some ways but he also breaks something out which i want to i want to just kind of like we'll just kind of shoot this shit a little bit about but he opens up and says the bustle and confusion of our ever more self-centered and again 1923 that he's writing this right um so it's like almost exactly 100 years ago off by one year and I want to add what? before you go, Thomas, remember that he was put in charge of a church all by himself when he was like 21 years old. So he was, again, super religious mm -hmm. before all the Freemasonic and all this other stuff. And right there, I believe that when, when he's talking at the beginning here, when he's about to be literally, he says he's going to go around from time to time. There will be da -da -da, uh, the... At Kyoto are the great Buddhist universities, the greatest and most advanced Japanese institutions. At Peking, we find the remnants of the ancient. So he's literally talking about how. how this I've... is when that that two hundred thousand dollar check hit the bank. He's like, <laughs> "Yo, we're going, we're going everywhere." 
I think that he's hinting that he's going to be initiated to all these secret mystery schools. So we literally have him there saying like, hey, I'm going to go here, 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 here. I'm going to be initiated into all these schools of thought. And I think from there, it's going to be interesting to see what as we go through all the volumes, his evolution of ideas, because we're definitely going to see that. Well, and um, it's kind of cool you brought that up because like right before this he's talking about i'm about to go get initiated all across the world i'm gonna learn about every you know secret initiation and everything that i can learn and then he goes right into the spirit of christmas and directly starts talking about how santa claus goes out um to the northern you know to the ends of the earth the north and the southern poles and he gets gifts and he takes those gifts and he just drops them on you um kind of what like manly p hall i think sees himself as like this this uh, esoteric, esoteric santa, santa claus it's like yeah bro like like manly palmer hall is this esoteric santa that's that's going and just dropping these jewels and these gifts down your chimneys uh for you to wake up in the middle of the night and, and go and find them in the mornings and he and he almost says that word for word in some of this so uh, so again 1923 100 years ago and he's saying um our self-centered lives are slowly killing out the beautiful spirit of christmas we see people fussing and stewing, sinking back into their chairs at home after a raid on the bargain counter at the 11th hour with their hat over one eye and their corn singing in nine languages and three colors. Few people in all the world who have really preserved the true spirit of Christmas. And most of these children are most of these are children who have not yet been caught up in the maelstrom of our commercial ethics. The spice of Christmas is indeed losing its savor and with its going will vanish one of man's greatest opportunities, which like all that have gone before he has abused and neglected. Um, and this is like, this is kind of the, the esoteric version of, you know, like your, your uh, grandma or your aunt that's like complaining about, Oh, no one, you know, the war on Christmas and no one ever celebrates Christmas anymore. And it's all happy holidays and yada, uh, yada. Dude, a hundred truth to that. And he, and he's getting down to some of that. A hundred years ago, they're talking. He's talking. Look, he's talking about Black Friday, bro. After a raid upon the bargain counter at the eleventh hour, with their hats over one eye and their corn singing nine. He's talking about Black Friday, there, dude. He's talking about how people are going, getting their bargains, and how they're just stumbling over, fussing and There, this is like the OG recording with an iPhone back then. How we're how we're talking about all this world's going to shit. They were saying that a hundred years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, few people in the world. Who have really preserved the true spirit of Christmas? Well, he just has no idea how far we've evolved since then. Yeah, so I'm just saying they were saying the same shit 100 years ago. <laughs> so, so this is the this is the part that I, I latched onto, and and I want to riff on for a little bit. But he also says, uh, and anyone that's that's got uh, children in the room, you know, hide hide the little ears. There is a terrible feeling that comes into the heart of a little child when a thoughtless parent or a heartless playmate whispers to it that there is no santa claus that's one of the heartbreaks of childhood when they dream of the little old man and his rosy cheeks and twinkling eyes and his long white whiskers and his snug red suit is dispelled in the mind of a child and from that time on all the world seems false the parents seldom realize enough of the plan of being to understand that they've destroyed a reality and not an illusion and they've supplanted that reality with a false. Oof. And and, I, and I've heard so many people say this. Sometimes it's in jest, but I think there's enough truth to it. But, like, what was the very first thing that got you into conspiracy theories 
Um, and I think uh, uh, Shane, um, you know, Tron, he, he said this one, and I've heard other people say it, but like, when you find out Santa's not real, like that's the ultimate, you know, the ultimate initiation in the conspiracy theories where you're like, wait a minute. I think that like mom and dad might be like in on this together. Um, like they're actually lying. And, you know, when we're asleep, they're doing all these covert actions and then pretending they didn't do it in the morning and blaming it. Like that's a false flag. That's a conspiracy. <laughs> like that's every major conspiracy kind of bundled up into one. And it's, it's almost this initiation ritual that a lot of, you know, at least kids in Western world kind of go through and either you just naturally, I guess, get to like what they say, you know, get too old for it. Um, and like, you just kind of grow out of it or like Manly P. Hall saying here, it kind of gets spoiled and it might be spoiled by a parent or it might be spoiled by a playmate, but whatever that is, <clears throat> again, you're a child, right? So like, you don't even know what the world is or what reality is the only reality you know is the reality that adults tell you about and then to find out that adults have been lying to you about probably the highlight of every year right like santa's coming santa's bringing presents like the whole just the whole entire premise of christmas as you teach the kids and then for santa to go away it almost destroys christmas in a way and i think that's what he's getting to but anyways i i always i kind of um relate to that in a little way too of that you know, you find out Santa's not real. It's like, wait, who, like you guys have been lying about this. And then it, it, it's a, a longer, deeper conversation that kind of, it's like a milestone in uh, childhood, right. Kind of coming to age. To be a hundred percent, bro. I don't remember. I, I know that there was, at least in my family, they never came out and were like, Hey, this is bullshit. We've been playing, you know, the tooth fairy's not real. It was a kind of a thing where like one year I was helping with the presents and it was, I think like, and, under... you got, and then you had to write Santa on one of them. Right. And you were like, wait a minute, if I'm Santa, it, yeah, <laughs> it was like a mutual agreement. Like, Hey, I'm not asking questions, but I'm seeing what's happening. You know, when you had the gossip in the family and it's like, they never told you, but then when you were filled in on it, you go, wow, that makes a lot of sense of like X, Y, Z. You know what I'm saying? Like you ever had that before yeah. where it's like that one family secret that they never told you, but once you're old enough, it starts to connect a lot of dots of why things were they, where they were. How come grandma's never around? Like, oh, she's a, she's a raging racist. Like <laughs> that's why she's never at any of the holiday gatherings. So it, for me, it was more of like, Mm, I see what's going on. I'm helping with the present, so I just kind of insinuates already that um that it's not real. That that's just the way I took so it. So what age was that? Do you remember? Say like seventeen. No. <laughs> no. Why did you learn that that Santa Claus was not real at seventeen? Uh no. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. It was a very long I had just gotten off the nipple a year before. <laughs> no, I wanna say, dude, it was probably I don't know. Is eight years old, seven years old, too old? Okay. I think no. I, th I think it was around there. It was around like second, second grade, first or second grade, I think. Yeah. And like first, you start hearing the other kids that are like, you know, my Those older assholes, brother says yeah. that, yeah, that only babies believe in Santa, blah blah blah. But uh, yeah, but like, but but again, like even then, usually the parents are like, well, 
you know, if if uh, if your friend Johnny at school doesn't believe in Santa, then Santa just doesn't go to his house. And you can tell that if you believe in Santa, then Santa like there's this. And Johnny's like, a little asshole too. By <laughs> yeah, Johnny's a little, yeah, Johnny's a little asshole. Too. He's a little prick, is what he is. But there's a dance, right? There's a dance because as the kid starts to get old enough to either know better or hear it from someone else, then like the parents either decide, no, we're gonna push this a little bit longer because we want to. Uh, you know, keep the Santa thing going for another year or two. But again, like that could, like if the kid finds out, like catches you in the act, right? You know, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus style. Like that could literally be one of those traumatic events. Like that, that's that yeah, kid's yeah. first JFK assassination. You know, it's <laughs> the, the first big thing where they're like, everything I know is a lie. This is crazy. Yeah. Like, especially with kids. Out of the Matrix. Yeah. Especially with kids because. I believe that they're more attuned to these, these. Well, then, but the, but then that would go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, where it is all bullshit. Then, right? Because I believe little kids create their own realities, <laughs> and they're just creating a reality that they want to live in. But then, when it's shattered, it's just bullshit. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so he actually says it in here. He says that. Um... He says that few people in all the world have really preserved the true spirit of Christmas, and most of these are children who have not yet caught up in the maelstrom of our commercial ethics. So, like, as the kid understands about Santa, even though that's all based on a lie, like, that whole premise is kind of a like a lie like the feeling and that altruism. And I don't, I mean, obviously, for a lot of kids, it's just like, they're not in school and they get presents. Uh, so let's, let's not discount uh, sort of the superficial aspect of that. But there's also that, that aspect of Christmas um, of like all of the cheesy, you know, sort of tropes from the holiday movies that you see. But those are the things that I think the kids kind of latch onto that get lost by the adults as they go to work and they go to the black Friday bargain bin sales and like all of the commercial hustle and bustle that he's complaining about. But like the, the it's almost at risk because if the the ultimate bearers of this ancient tradition are the children, right? They're the ones that haven't yet perverted it. But the children are also at risk of losing touch with this reality if they find out like the Santa mm. Claus thing is a is a big lie. It's almost like the most you know the the vessels that can like maintain this culture the longest and and represent it the best are the ones most uh, endangered of of forever being kind of like scarred by it. And he also says here, the occultist must seek to build again in his own life, the spirit of Christmas. So Thomas, you got to make sure you build the spirit of Christmas <laughs> in your life. Beautiful. I mean, in its simplicity. Does this mean that, that um, daddy hall would, would uh, be disappointed if you did not have Christmas decorations out? Like if you didn't put your lights mm-hmm. up in time, do you think he'd show up to your house and give that like, like that bro you know i I was gonna have those people on that study with him but i guess my podcast isn't up to par to their standards so they never hit me we'll we'll get you there never hit me back up but i mean i'll I'll hit her back up one more time maybe but probably not so yeah i think that he would be disappointed but I, i i would love to see what he was like you know what i mean like imagine meeting do you think he was a do you think he was a practicing occultist or you think he was just a researcher? Uh I think probably more researcher, but also man, all he lived that a time long that he time. Had to be putting, 
all that time you had to put into those sugar moms to keep those checks coming. I don't know how much time you've got to be a practicing occultist. He was, <laughs> bro. He was head deep in something. He but it was might not have always been the books. He was dropping dick, bro. He was a hundred percent. And then really, one, I, I think he was one of more like one of those attentive lovers that that just kind of like always had his mouth full. You think so? I think that one of them wasn't one a lesbian, right? One was a lesbian that wanted to like marry him, and he said no. Dude, I could start an entire podcast on all the tabs I have open because this is wild, dude. Like all the stuff that I have open, I could just go one by one. The, the ADHD podcast. Yeah. So the, this other this other heading really stood out to me because it's something that I've always thought about since I was a kid. You know, with going, growing up in church and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like for many years, one great question has been up up uppermost in minds of religious people is the this the day appointed in the bible of the ancients for the second coming of christ i remember bro since i've been seven or eight years old god has been coming i'm 28 now it's been 20 years he hasn't come yet but he's... <laughs> he, he went out to get a pack of smokes and he hasn't come <laughs> back yet <laughs> i think he's gonna come eventually one day but yeah it stood out to me you want to read this next one uh, well, I, I want to kind of summarize it. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll read this little part where he says, there's no doubt that the creedal theologies prohibit the coming of a world teacher for they divide against each other and tear down their brother's ideals and would fill his coming with wranglings and decisions, which would defile his very presence when he came. Um, and then he talks about Europe and turmoil, which again is interesting because this is like pre-World War II. Uh, but he kind of like, you, he keeps hinting at something big happened in Europe. Um, but he, he makes a, a claim here that I think is interesting where it's basically saying that like, like second coming's not going to happen until everyone is ready for it. But again, maybe this is me reading between the lines, but Manly Palmer Hall seems to talk more about like the Christ consciousness aspect. So it's almost like the second coming of Christ is really just when a majority of the earth has Christ consciousness because that would be the only acceptable conditions for him to consider the second coming to actually happen. So uh, it, it would almost be like the actual second coming of Christ would be less of a miracle than uh, a majority of the population having Christ consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, I see what you mean, but yeah, I'm, again, he's on, he's on the, the uh, theosophy kick where Jesus was just another ascended master and he was just another adept and that's why when he re if you've noticed when he references god he calls him deity or deities because he i think that he believed that there was more than one and i think we'll get into it on, on one of the other ones where he breaks down the cross so yeah uh here the next one you said you wanted to well, summarize the whole thing uh well that was just kind of my summary of it and then the next section um He's kind of had this ongoing section, all of his pamphlets, and one's called the Living Problems Department. And this is just kind of like day-to-day -day writing in like Dear Abby almost. Um, and, and some of these are things that he rants on. But one of these is speaking of auto-suggestion. And again, this is, um, this is almost in direct you know, uh, contradiction to what he was saying before on the law of evolution, which is that every day... Um, you know, over time, things get better and they're constantly getting more and more perfect. And he says here, the war cry is day by day in every way I am getting better and better. But this form is too long for Americans 
um, who just changed it to, oh, hell, I'm well. And he says, we can say almost anything we want to um, to bat while we live as we do and think as we do and sleep and eat the way that we do and abuse ourselves according to fashion. There's nothing upon the face of the earth that will cure us of anything. And he's basically saying that, like, just saying day by day in every way I'm getting better, that that's almost like, you know, that, that sympathy uh, card where you're just kind of catering to this mindless abstract positivity um he mentions it as a form of mental auto intoxication Mm -hmm. to convince yourself that you are what you are not and you have gotten over that which you know you have um so yeah again it's just it's interesting because depending on what section i don't know if this is because different people wrote it or if he was in different states of mind or if i'm just uh, if I'm just in the wrong state of mind, I'm not really sure. Yeah, sometimes. I think it, I think it's you, bro. Don't ever question Daddy yeah, Manly okay. Hall like that ever again. <laughs> you show your respect, but yeah, he he. This is coming from a guy who, by the way, died overweight and obese, uh, overweight and diabetic, because he loved to snack at night on. I think it was like not Twinkies, but it was some. Were there's originals, bro? Some some of the this crazy sugar thing uh, but anyways he i think he was he was murdered 100 he was murdered but again coming from a guy who at the end of his life was obese and all that stuff but he still lived for a very long time that's why i think a lot of these guys that are into the occult they know something because a lot of these guys live till they're like freaking 80 something years old 90 something years old bro i don't know i think they're tapping into something but I could be wrong. Well, they, they, they're tapping into that rich uh, old lady money is what they're tapping into. <laughs> true, true. Uh, we have this next one here. I think I came across this on another. I think it was. An yeah, I figure ins- you, you take this one over because you're the, the resident alchemist here. Yeah, I mean, I want to call myself an alchemist, but I've, I think I'm pretty sure I went over this with homie Romy yeah. on some other source material that I have, but. We have here Speculum Alchemia or Alchemy. Uh, the first is that you do not know how to prepare well all your things and that you do that you do know how to remove that which doth hurt most and that which doth comfort your intention and that you know the sign when you have that which you desire to have. Wow, this is really hard to read. Give me one second. Where was I? Remove that which ought to remove. For all that man doth hath an end and a certain term. For according to philosophers, when nature intendeth to destroy anything, to generate another thing, worse or better, it intended to seek a certain degree which it doth not pass beyond, and so standeth, and then another thing prepare it. Doth so provoke another special form which he had not before. Wow, that sucks to read, bro. Don't make me read that again because I'll <laughs> literally shoot myself in the balls if I have to read that again. <laughs> it's like when well, you're not well, used, when you're not used to talking a certain way and you're reading something like some of this old English or whatever. Or like, dude, reading John D's old journals. Oh, my God. So or like before they even had the TH and you have to start reading. <laughs> reading yeah, dude. So the second is that your things separate you do know to commix them well together. And that is of sundry and diver divers things to make one substance to be inseparable forever. 
For if you know not how to mix your things well and naturally, so that everything be destroyed and so brought first unto their own primary being and proper species, and one thing to be generated of them, it is worth no nothing that you have done, and that you know the sign when your mixtion is completed. And Holy. he's also like he doesn't say here, but this is also the concept of like purity. Because you can't mix two impure substances together and then mm -hmm. expect the same chemical reaction as if you, you know you're working with better quality ingredients. Yeah, this sucks to read, bro. You read that last one, bro. My, my balls hurt. Uh, the <laughs> uh, well, there's two more. The third is that you know the certain proportion that is the quantity of such things that thou ought mix together, and also know by the reason why it should be so. And that way you can be sure to find the thing that you're looking for by the quantities that you know that you've mixed upon your melted bodies. And then he says the fourth thing that you ought to consider is the greatest secret of all and might wisdom that you know how to fortify your medicine and multiply the virtue and that this is a work of great prudence and wisdom. And if you understand this last one part of your medicine will not only convert 10 parts of any body melted, but a hundred, a thousand, 10,000, 10,000,000. He goes on to say, like, essentially, you can just make infinite amounts um, if you know how. And this is that that uh, alchemical concept of multiplication, right? Mm -hmm. Of being able to take one part and turn it into, like, 10 or 100, or as it says, um, like the, the Christ feeding of the fish. Um, that's kind of like another instance of this, where you take this tiny little thing and you're able to produce these enormous amounts of it. It's just an alchemical sort of analogy to something. I don't know, because that gets back into that, uh, um, the abstractions, right? Of like, I know the truth and I know the, 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 the concept of multiplication. Like, okay, uh, so, you know, take this burger and just show me how to get a hundred thousand burgers out of it. I know it's not how it works. <laughs> um, but again, like until someone can actually sit down and, and show it to you and not just explain it in these abstractions. So as you can tell, this is Roger Bacon and it is very shrouded in symbolism because it is alchemy. So good luck reading that. That hurts my nutsack reading that. So we have here the symbolism of our new cross. And I was actually going to get this made in a replica because he, he, he made this in a, in a pendant for his necklace. And I, it, it's to him it's a mixture of all the major religions into one coherent sign so he breaks this whole thing down of what it all means i'm not going to get into the whole thing but maybe we can yeah, do... maybe we come back to this and do the yeah. blades and a whole bunch of stuff at one point because this uh, this in particular is interesting to me because this cross design was so damn important mm -hmm. to uh to daddy hall that um, it would just be interesting to know the thinking that goes behind all of it. Cause again, he was like, like this cross to hall would be like a movie to Stanley Kubrick, right? Like every detail sort of is in there for a reason. And there's like a whole story behind every color and the angle at which it was all put in there and everything. So here, here he is wearing it. And it was designed by him summer of 1923, and it represents the composite of the emblems and figures of various mystery schools gathered to form one harmonious pattern, thus signifying the unification of all religions and philosophical doctrines to one perfect, beautiful unit. 
a condition which must be first come to pass before the ideals of universal brotherhood can be realized. So this was given to Walter Stewart, who was Manly P. Hall's last ministerial student in the Church of the People. And it's currently protected by Circe's International and Order Surveying. An oil painting was made. So, yeah. So I think that was the church that he was the the pastor at 21. This is a look at this. How young he is, bro. And he designed this before he even went on his like worldwide travels yeah. to join all these other societies. So I wonder if he came back and he was like, damn it, I forgot a triangle. Yeah, that shit is wrong. Well, you got the triangle up here. <laughs> yeah. Got two triangles. Uh, so I was going to get this made, actually. Uh, that's how big of a Manly P. Hall fanboy I am. I was going to, I wanted to get a replica made, but I never did get around to that. So but here it is. It's got like, diamonds and everything on it there's also another picture it looks like something you could ward off a vampire with in style <laughs> so in the the people that i told you about earlier he married them at his house and he had this on he had the they're, they're, they have a picture with him where he has the cross on at their wedding when he married them together so it's really interesting but yeah we can get into that some other time because it is pretty detailed we have here so the, he's got some q a's here my favorite one is just do dreams mean anything um i don't know if you see that one on here but uh yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna stop with his first sentence so the question is do dreams mean anything answer some <laughs> do and some do not and i just decided to just keep moving on after that because i just like <laughs> i like the matter of fact answer there yeah, my son today was asking me if dreams were bad, and he's four years old. So I'm like, I mean, I literally told I told him something similar. I'm like, well, it depends, because I I was gonna be like, I don't like to say no to everything. Like, or oh, dreams that no, you know, they're they're good. It's like, but why did I just have a nightmare? You know what I mean? So I was like, why did you have a bad dream that you didn't like? And he, I forgot what he told me, but he was asking me today if if dreams were bad or not. It's an interesting question. It is. He, yeah, bro, he asked some crazy. He's like, what is knowing? I'm like, I'm trying to come up with the, you know, when you can't define a word about, with using the word, you want to define a, a, something with using the word in the definition. And like, there's a reason why they ask you what it means. Cause you can't use the word that they just asked you what it meant in the definition of the word. So, so he's like, what is knowing? And I'm just trying to think of a, of a different way to say, Things that you... Are you just pulling up a thesaurus on your phone and just throwing all the <laughs> yeah. other words at them? <laughs> yeah, bro. I'm like... Ah. Oh, it's, it's uh, understanding, uh, comprehending. <laughs> <laughs> what is understanding? Because he'll do that, bro. I have to be careful with what I say because he'll pull out another one. Like, oh, what does that mean? I go, oh. It's like, what are roads made out of? They're made out of gravel. Why? What is why? gravel? Why? Why? Yeah. why? <laughs> what is gravel? Well, it's a stone. What is a stone? It comes from mountains. What is a mountain? So I have to keep going. It's like an endless cycle, but yeah. So we have the other Honestly, that, that's the Socratic method, man. Like, you know, from the, the mouths of babes, right? I mean, if you're four years old, then I'm okay with it. But if you're a grown-ass man like Thomas here asking me questions <laughs> like that, I'd be like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, when you're talking about reptilians in Atlantis, sometimes you got to, like, start pulling those layers of the onion apart, you know? There you go. What's the next one, bro? Uh, Was the, the, onion, the onion is a spherical globe. Yeah, it is. Don't you know trigger some people on that. Uh, so <laughs> the the law of non attachment. Um 
and I'm, I'm not even going to read the whole thing, but it basically he just starts going on on the same concept of um, sort of like the Eastern philosophy of, you know, give up all your possessions. What's the new, the, the, the Carl Schwab version now is own nothing and you'll be happy. Uh, it's essentially the, the esoteric and enlightened version of eating cockroaches and mealworms <laughs> is don't be attached to anything in the material realm. Um, which you know, easier said than done, but I th- I think it's a, that's that very platonic. The, what is uh, like the the attachment is the base of sorrow, the parent of crime, the inspiration of lust, and the causeless cause of limitation. Because you're latch because you're latching on to the exactly. non ideal versions of things. So exactly. That, yeah, to be fascinated with like what looks like a perfect circle means that you'll never appreciate a true perfect circle in the abstract sense well he says it right there he says abstractions abstractions right (laughs) he says that the sage is free in the realization of the immortal reality while the fool is chained a prisoner by his acceptance of the immortality of matter this when i when i read that the sage is free of realization while the fool is chained it's like the meme of the the guy at the party and everyone's having a good time. Yeah, he's like, like in the, the corner. Dude in the corner. And he's sitting there. He's like, they don't realize I'm a free sage. And I'm, I'm not bound to the realization of this immortal reality. You know what I'm I mean? Gonna, I'm going to make that meme right now, dude. I'm going to share it on that. <laughs> that was amazing, dude. I know exactly what you're talking about. So any, any while, you, while you make that meme up, he says, there is but one consciousness, and it is not in matter, but it, um, there is but one truth, and that is the realization of immortal purity. There is but one quest, the search for reality. There's but one reward, the attainment of reality. There's but one devotion, and that the love of reality. There is but one sin, the loss of reality. There is but one death, the death of reality. This almost sounds like a a Catholic sermon, I swear to God. Um, You know, like the saying the same thing over and over. But um, I I thought that one was really interesting, where especially he says, there's but one sin, the loss of the reality. Um, cause you know, that's almost sounds blasphemous in some ways, which is kind of like the heart of a lot of these like esoteric teachings or, um, things that when you read them out of context like that, it just sounds like pure blasphemy. And then he says that when the clouded soul of man loses sight of the star of truth that gleams through the veil of Maya as the clouds of the old concealed body of deity, again, he doesn't say God, he's saying deity. That was interesting you pointed that out. Um, so the clouds of attachment shroud the truth in a winding sheet of limitation. And again, Daddy Hall, bro, you're starting to get a little abstract here. <laughs> um, but I, I like the analogies, right? That that hermetic um, thought of above, so below, of like just speaking in similes and metaphors and stuff. Um, but but I, I kind of love when he, he talks about like reality as being the ultimate end-all be-all. But again, like in his abstractions like there's nothing more abstract than the truth and i would say that the truth and reality with a capital r are kind of the same abstract concept yo hit me hit me with that meme again they don't know i'm a what oh what do you, what does he say he says that uh uh they don't know that i'm i'm free in the realization of the immortal reality <laughs> Making yep. memes real time. <laughs> oh, hold on, let's see here. Let's switch this around. 
There we go. Do right. you like the other font or that font? Uh, it it always needs to be impact. Impact's the the meme font. No, I'm That's saying, but with like the white interior, black exterior, or the other way around. Go with that one. They don't know I'm free in the realization of the immort immortal reality. Is that? <laughs> that's it that's what he says here all right the sage is free in the realization of the immortal reality while the fool is chained a prisoner by his acceptance of the (laughs) immortality of matter should we add that second part in there no no i mean uh, no if you know you know hashtag if you know you know know, yeah (laughs) all right awesome here you go making memes in real time as we go about these episodes and, and he goes um honestly some of this stuff it sounds very um you know i'm 14 and this is deep or whatever the the reddit is but he's what <laughs> you ever heard of that before no there's a there's a subreddit i think it's called i'm 14 and this is deep and it's just like things that would be really deep to someone that just got into middle school and is just like learning about books outside of the berenstein bears and goosebumps um but but uh, this is this passage kind of strikes me as that you know I'm 14 and this is deep. Let us watch people with whom we daily pass, slaves to attachments, crushed by ignorance, um, little better than beasts. <laughs> they are who know um, when, nor why, but like little puppets in a shadow show, follow the strings they've placed upon themselves. Like this is the whole like you know sheeple, you stupid puppets. Uh, I but I, love I spit it. on I, you. <laughs> um, I say that, but I love the way that he he has that condescension sometimes. Yeah, this dude was he was on some. Sh- Imagine the stuff that was going through his head, bro. I mean, he was he was. Oh, Could you yeah. imagine small talk with him? He like you'd be going on about the weather, and he'd just be like, "God, oh, this fucking idiot won't Uh-oh. shut up about the weather, bro." Uh oh, here we go. This is going to get controversial here. You ready? This is all oh, you, yeah. bro. You're the one that I want to do this. So this this one stood out to me. And, man, I, I mean, Manly Palmer Hall would have been banned from YouTube and uh, Twitter. No question. No question about it. So he's got this section that caught me off guard in the Christmas issue, um, which a coincidence, maybe, that uh, vaccinations tend to come up around uh, Christmas and, you know, December, but... He's got a section called the crime of vaccination. And he says, this is manly be all the karmic debt for vaccination is twofold. First to our bodies, which we deliberately defile with smallpox serum and vaccine. Secondly, to the animal who goes through untold suffering. Um, And then he says, the occultist is fighting tooth and nail to abolish vaccination and supplant it with good common sense. Smallpox is primarily a filth disease. And if people would live right and bathe right and eat right, not be so they would fucking not get poor. It, for the healthy body is perfectly <laughs> capable of taking care of its germs. Yeah, but this is like a such an interesting thing. Again, to read a hundred years back into the past and hear this this sort of occult new age uh conspiratorial even version of not trusting vaccines but for his you know point of view it was smallpox at the time and i and it, and it took me by surprise because i honestly i i wouldn't have assumed um this particular stance um back then from like a cultist being against that va- i mean i understand it it's the same 
sort of premise now. Where is your source material for that, bro? You can't just say some crazy shit like that and not source it. For what? The occultist is fighting tooth and nail. So are you talking about like oh, yeah. conspiracy <laughs> theorists or well, like so Alex Jones? In my opinion, whenever Manly Palmer Hall says the occultist, he means me. So it's like I'm fighting tooth and nail to abolish vaccination. It's like when you're talking about it's like the these people, you know, I'm me. I'm the people. That's me. You know, that meme. <laughs> so I, I love the fact where he goes here where it says. Where, where is it? Where does it start? Oh, it's a long ass sentence. We look forward with great hopes to the day when when we will remove from the fair name of our race the blemish, mental and physical, the swollen glands, the tonsil trouble, the nervousness and debility, the rashes and outbreaks, not a small percentage of which can be traced to vaccine, which kills the best in us in order to save the rest. Mm. You selfish fucks. So no comment. But but I mean <laughs> Without question, he would have been anti-vax. Manly Palmer Hall would have been uh, in the anti-vax category. What do you have though? He, he, he was. He would right here. He's talking about the karmic debt is twofold. I mean, that seems like a like a pretty strong stance to backpedal from. But then you're gonna you're gonna not oppose capitalism because that's part of capitalism. What is vaccinations? Yeah, bro. It's all about making no, money. No, no, not at all. I don't think so at all. Yes, Especially come on. The, the version that we had here um, was corporatism more than anything else. It was just a transfer of state research and state funds and state guinea pigs. Like there was no, like the only, the only capitalization there was the literal capitalization of people and turning them into, you know, money mm -hmm. through. And again, the, the origin of what's the word capital, right? The origin of the word capital <laughs> And the origin of the word vaccine both share a cow uh, being yep. their because it was cowpox right? the first outbreak the first time that they invented the vaccine. Yeah. Well, and per capita essentially meant like per cattle. Oh, really? Uh, you know, per yeah, per capita was like per oh, head of cattle. Shit, essentially. Damn, dude, I think we just uh, unlocked and, a new conspiracy. It's all it's all linked back to the uh, cow. So 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 let's go from uh from anti-vax to another spicy topic <laughs> because at the very opening of issue three in volume two, um, Manly I don't know uh -oh. if he wrote this poem or if it was commissioned by someone, but it's it's yeah the unborn and it's basically a poem uh, about abortion. <laughs> and, oh God! And uh, and I'm just gonna to jump right to the highlights, but he says, longing through the silent ages for a mother who would care. And then it ends with, with mortal hands, you still their hearts. And just, I, I guess as I was reading this, I was just imagine like, this is the, the surgeon with the scalpel and the vacuum, you know, with the little vacuum extension with mortal hands, you still their hearts and cast their broken forms aside, murdering souls and slaying bodies with criminal thoughtlessness and pride on your hands is blood of murder on your soul, a blacker stain mother of mercy have compassion on the slayer and the slain all right question um, bro because and this is gonna be pretty ignorant of me but i don't i think people should do whatever they want i think people should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies is that a left leaning or right leaning ideology i don't know i don't i don't really think that it belongs on one side but who, are, who are the ones that usually fight for abortion rights is it leftist or or 
right now and in, in current day in the U.S., it's usually would be like a leftist would be fighting for so liberal thought choice for the choice. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah. so if you're a conservative, it would be you're a murderer. You're not allowed to do that. So, but okay. So if those mainly are the only two buckets you can pick between. Then yeah, those are kind of like the 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 two big buckets. So based on the last two articles that we've read, we can safely assume that Manly P. Hall was probably a conservative. Oh, absolutely. Especially the whole like God helps those who help themselves mentality mm-hmm. and pull mm-hmm. yourself up. By your bootstraps and fuck and, your baby sugar and, mama uh, and sympathy is the the worst thing that's ever happened in the entire universe was the concept of sympathy <laughs> um, so even if, if even if you wanted to be like the extremists and like you know republicans hate everyone and they just want to watch you so i mean technically if you're sitting there i don't like them putting that, chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay and if you're saying that sympathy is the worst thing that's ever happened in the universe then yeah i, I guess then he would fit that that mold of like the stereotype so on to the next one because this episode has already gone off the rails if you didn't think we're going to touch these subjects <laughs> while reading about manly p hall boy oh boy were you absolutely wrong so we have so thoughts he, for uh, here so yeah, he ma- he makes another mention here and this one stood out because he says Occult schools are indeed mystic organizations, and entrance to them is man's pledged oath and vow. Many people object to oaths and vows, but there are some which we must take as we go along the line. Like I love, <laughs> I love the reasoning there. Well, the way like, you deliver that is amazing. It's like, oh, well, it's not bad if you have to do. It. You know, like you're, like. For the necessary. Well, well and again, you know. the context, right, is that he literally just said that he was about to travel the globe. And as you mentioned, he didn't say this, but basically entering all yes. these different initiations and stuff. So, like, how, like, this is him, like, some people are opposed to it, but there's like a really good reason why you might want to do this. I'm not going to get into it, but trust me, bro. Exactly. Like, that's the source, right? Because by him saying that, in order, hello, in order for you to learn all the secrets and be able to write an entire encyclopedia, well, you need to be initiated, my dude. You know what I mean? This dude was probably drinking concoctions out of people's skulls somewhere in, in the desert or or in the middle of a jungle at one point to learn the secrets of the secrets. So, I mean, Like OG uh, Indiana Jones at some level, right? Yeah. He, he, at least he hired an Indiana Jones to like go ahead of him. Yeah, exactly. So here he's covering his tracks like, hey, bro, sometimes you can't. You gotta do. There, they are moral obligations which the body must assume and live up to. So, whenever somebody tells you anything about when I'm eating a Twinkie or something, they're like, "You're gonna get fa-. no, no, no." Many people, they, they where was it? We must pledge ourselves. Where the fuck did I just read it? Oh, they are moral obligations which the body must assume and live up to. Damn it! Well, so you skipped the first part of that <laughs> sentence, which is which is just as important, where he says. They are not pledges made to others. Well, that's kind of bullshit. Like, if, if you go and you read mm. some of the actual pledges to yeah. some of these groups that he's talking about, um, they, they are not metaphorical in no uncertain terms. They literally say that, like, you will, you know, you will not provide oath to uh, Prince Potentiate or, or, like, any other person on the face of the planet. So it's, and it's almost like, I always wonder, is it the first oath that takes priority 
or if I go through and I take 20 oaths, is it the 20th one that overrides the first 19 that I did? Or do they all just like invalidate each other? Or is it like marriage where like it's the first one and then every other marriage contract is null and void? It's only like the mm. first one. I, don't yeah, know. I got you. I got you. Well, he did marry what? Two times? Three times? Two times. No, his first wife killed herself. He married a second time. So I don't know, dude. I think we should do it uh, on the Juan Juan podcast. We should do an entire episode on Manly P. Hall. His Manly P. Hall's love life. And we'll just trace it through through uh, the, the cashed checks. Yes. So there, there's a section in here called the greatly slandered playing card. And it might be after all of these fictional ones. Yeah, I, I skipped all this too when I was going through it. Oh, and I want to read. Oh, we can do this. There's actually an entire. It's before that, it comes before that actually. So for the occult anatomy, we do. Oh, you, you put it on here. But there's an entire book on just that. So there, so there's a section. I don't know if you'll if you'll find it, but it says, right uh, "The greatly slandered playing card in this day and age of the world, the playing card is a terribly slandered thing that is far more sinned against than sinning." Our churches look accidents at us if when pulling out our handkerchief, poker chips roll out or an ace of spades <laughs> flutters to the floor. What a cool, uh, you know, image, right? That you're in church and like you pull your handkerchief out and for some reason you've got poker chips in your pocket. That would probably indicate a gambling problem. But what, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, it is not realized that the deck of the cards is the oldest known Bible. Oof. Having been inscribed upon the walls of the temple of Seraphim in Egypt thousands of years ago. It's also a complete symbol of the Masonic Lodge, of the mystery schools, and the story of initiation. It's a man who has made it into gambling thing, but of itself, like all other creations, it is good and remains good until we make evil out of it. And then you were talking about dice before. He says, modern dice are taken from the altars of the ancient gods and their faces, adding up to seven. And those are the symbols of the Mosaic Law. The roulette wheel was originally used in temples to represent the Oof. motion of the planets and practically all of our so-called gambling games and implements were originally sacred things. Mm -hmm. The evil side of them lies entirely in the minds of men and they could all get together card roulette wheel and justifiably sing a little song entitled you made me what I am today. I hope you're satisfied. Um, but I, uh, that blew my mind when I was reading that like, yeah, that's true, right? The cards were the original tarot, and the tarot and the Torah, like that was the original Bible, essentially. And that's mm -hmm. essentially what we've got in our standard, you know, it's gone through some changes, but the standard tech of uh, playing cards. And then he mentions the dice uh, being taken from the altars of the ancient gods in their faces, and that the, uh, what was it, the roulette wheel uh, representing the motion of the planets. Uh, what a cool uh, idea. I never even considered all of these gambling items as wonder, being sacred things from an altar. wonder where you got his source from. Huh? Oh, well, I guess we'll never know because, you know, <laughs> and I'll be honest, dude. I don't, Vegas. Know, I don't even know how many things I've repeated of Manly Hall's without having the source material except Manly Hall. <laughs> I'll be honest. Where I, again, because it's things like this. And, but it makes a lot of sense, though, right? Where... What is it? The, the 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 roulette represents the motion of the planets, and you also have the the what's the card? The the wheel of fortune card, the tarot card, where you have that. I actually let me pull it out. 
I restored. Remember I did that deck? The Augustus and Manly Hall John deck? Augustus Snap. Yeah, John Augustus Snap. I did a replica of the of the deck. I restored AI restored all the pictures, photoshopped them, and I had them printed. It's from the original deck is from like nineteen twenty eight, I think, or thirty two, something like that. There you go, that's the original Bible. Yeah, got the chariot card, but yeah, I did a again, uh Manly P Hall fanboy, so I am, but it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I did. I didn't understand, but the uh, the way I learned about the dice was uh, learning about the Pythagorean palaces, where the dice, the cube, is the progenitor of all of all number. So the way that they that they paint it is first comes the dot, which is the monad, then comes the line, then comes the forget the the order but the last one being number four which is the cube and the cube births into reality everything else any other form that comes after that and that's pythagorean idea where they thought that the cube was the perfect shape and the reason being again this is has a more occultic meaning behind it so again very interesting but moving along here, let's see what else we got. We got the occult anatomy of man. I've read that whole thing. We should do that one uh, sometime. Add it to the endless. Uh, with the, the human brain. Well, there was one thing that, that stood out to me. that. Well, I there, there's an entire, he does an entire, it's like a, I guess it's like a pamphlet, but it's like a bunch of pages on the occult anatomy of man. And he goes, breaks everything down. It's really fascinating. We should do that one. It's not that long. But go ahead and you can read this one. Um, so there's, I'm just going to hop around, but he's talking about the human brain and he mentions that, uh, uh, <clears throat> that it is up this, he's talking about the skull, of course, representing the temple on the mountaintop and the dome is the dome of the head and that up this mountain, the spirit, uh, fire climbs on its path of liberation, passing upward through 33 steps of Masonic initiation which are, of course, the vertebrae of the spine. You can't say that and it, word. And it enters... Yeah, we'll have to edit that out. It enters the <laughs> domed room of the skull where the great mystery initiations are given. And then it says that in the cerebellum or rear brain, which has a charge of the motive system of the human body, which is the highest brain of the animal, is found a little tree-like growth, which has long been symbolized at the sprig of acacia referred to in the masonic allegory and he mentioned this in the earlier one where he's talking about Hiram Abiff um and Hiram Abiff I believe um dies and is buried and then they find a little sprig of acacia growing out from where he was buried which kind of represents that concept of reincarnation here um and then it also says that the skull is a little room with a hole in the floor often referred to in the ancient mysteries for the main opening of the skull is through which the spinal cord with its nerves pass and that medical science now knows that the spinal cord is really an elongation of the brain um, and it is capable of intelligence like the brain the cord is a flaming sword which stands at the gates of the garden of eden which is the human skull 
and the Greek god Atlas carried the heavens on his shoulders, and the upper vertebrae of the spine is called the Atlas, and the skull articulating with this bone, which is provided with rockers, gives us that back and forward motion of the head, and this in itself sufficient proof of the analogy exists between ancient and modern worlds. Um, so th that one was cool. I, honestly, just the concept of the spinal cord being this elongated aspect of the brain and that it has its own intelligence uh actually is really true and i never even considered that before mm -hmm. i read this old ass you know pamphlet from so 1923 you, from the you, you can cut somebody's head off and their body will still move or not cut somebody's head off but cut like an animal's head off and it can still move around right like a have you ever seen those russian experiments where they take like yes, dogs a dog and keep yeah. them alive and that's messed up but yeah yeah absolutely so this the original pamphlet i guess so let's see here uh, it was a book it was only 72 pages the occult anatomy of man manly p hall to which is added a treaty on occult masonry so it's 72 pages we should definitely do that one i've read it before and it's really fascinating because it breaks down all, so it takes like this christian perspective or yeah christian perspective where it takes all christian stories and breaks it down and it shows it how it relates to like the the anatomy of man so right christ was crucified at the at the at the place of the skull so golgotha and then if you look at the uh i forgot what it was the top of the skull is called something uh, anyways it's a whole thing which we should definitely do it. So I, I, well, I, I love that idea, though, because it, it kind of uh, emphasizes that concept that these like ancient sacred teachings are encoded with, you know, like actual worldly knowledge. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like maybe maybe all these stories are in addition to everything else that they're supposed to stand for. Maybe they also are talking about, you know, human anatomy, uh, which would just kind of be cool because it's like the one story that that explains all other stories. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, it's like how we were talking about at the beginning. It's the universal language. So, of course, they're going to use symbols. And these symbols are going to change according to your cultural influences, your community influences, your familial influences, your culture. Like, all that stuff is going to influence it. And it's going to transform it, that same symbol, into something that you're able to understand. I think you said at the beginning where people are bringing forth what they're able to comprehend like the forms that you're able to, to deal with. And that's your reality. I think it might've been a podcast. I was listening to it. I'm not sure. Everything's a blur nowadays. <laughs> hey, you, you read this one. Why? <laughs> you don't want to get canceled, bro. I mean, I don't, I don't care. All right. It's so will the white race ever be dominated by his superior people? <laughs> so what's he trying to say that the white race is already the most superior. So, Okay, so he says, answer, the white race with its heartless domination over lesser peoples has made the karmic debt, which can only be paid off by our own race, bowing beneath the heels of some coming conqueror. Yikes. So, yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. You've got it. We've got it coming uh, towards us. And, uh, but, but imagine he says the white race with its heartless domination over lesser peoples. So he's like, as... He was white, wasn't he? He was white. He's from. He was Canadian. Yeah. yeah. So, it being a, some white dude is being being like, yeah, dude, our people were assholes. So of course 
they're gonna have to bow down to the next people but hey slavery was still legal at this time by the way racism was super super prevalent because it was the 20s so just just putting that out there because it was a norm of the time not saying it's okay but i'm just saying that these guys are do you think you think manly p hall is a racist dude oh i don't want to think about that i think so yeah you think he was a you think he was a fucking racist? I think he was racist. Maybe not in in that he like hated anyone that wasn't like him, but I think he was racist in that he probably saw someone's race and then made a bunch of assumptions about them. Yeah, I absolutely think that that sounds like part of his mo. Yikes. Okay. All right. And then again, he's got a, a um. In a, so we're in in issue four now. And he has a section called the philosophy of the absolute. And this is another one of his like Mickey Rooney complainy articles. <laughs> and he says, it's, like, nobody's going to want to read these after we're done with them. Cause you're like, you're making a point. You're like painting him out to be like this cranky old, uh, you know, like esoteric. I mean, sometimes he is, especially cause in, in the first volume and I think the very first issue of the second volume, he has this whole article on like being cranky. And like, don't don't be this like old crank. Um, but again, uh, it's just the way that I'm reading it. But it's like people that start things out like there's only two kinds of people in this. Like you know they're about to put themselves into the nice one, and then like put everyone <laughs> else in the bad one, right? Yeah. No yeah. one's ever like there's two kinds of people in this world, and they put themselves into the crap one. That never happens. So yeah. He says it again. <laughs> there's two kinds of people in this world people with a vision and people without vision guess guess what category manly p hall thinks that he's in uh so he says you know people with a vision um who claim to have surrounded the absolute and are those without a vision so again this is just um i didn't i didn't get deep into like all the extra points that he was making here just the fact that this starts this trend that we're going to notice a lot more often where he's constantly like you're either with us or you're against us. Kind of like that same feel. Well, the people who are not with us, Tom, they're called Gluck McFags. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the second member of the Celestial Trinity we are considering in our, in our little spasm is Gluck McFag, a well-known dis, uh, disciple of things vacuumized. So, I feel like this is something that Manly P. Hall wrote. <laughs> you imagine him stubbing his tongue, like "fuck," just like cursing or something. You think he curses? Oh, incarnations or something. I don't know. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine Manly P. Hall doing something like that. So, anyways, we have here. Let's see, these are also one- stories, right? This one has a lot of the fictional stories. This one I just went right to the Q and A, and there was, there was a really interesting one that I found. Yeah, and, so we'll uh, come back and do these stories sometimes because all the fictional ones we'll do in order so we can talk about the story as a whole. So here. the question is, can a man live forever if he will not sin? Um, and I don't actually care about the answer that he gives later on um, as the result of this, but. I'm really, I really like the beginning of the answer. It says, if a man does not sin, he will turn to stone. Sin produces experience. What we call sin and suffering is one of our greatest friends. Um, we sin and break a natural law. 
If we do not suffer, we would soon find ourselves destroyed and never know it. And the way that I, I read this, because first of all, again, it sounds very blasphemous of like what we call sin and suffering is one of our greatest friends. Unless, mm. You could also read that as like the Mother Teresa um, criticisms were like she thought that suffering was the true way to like, you know, salvation so that she kind of intentionally uh, had people suffer more than they needed to because like it was, you know, godly almost. Um, but there's, there's another aspect of this of like, we would soon find ourselves destroyed and never know it. Um, and that like this being one of our greatest friends, uh, I also wonder if this ties into that like spectrum of like the greater experiences, the more choices you have, the closer it resembles itself to like free will almost. And I think your reincarnated doppelganger wrote in because he says, explain sex. And the answer that Manly <laughs> gives is sex manifests through all the regions of nature as the two polarities of one nature. That's it, dude. Holy shit. So when my kid asks me, "What? hey, dad, what happens in, during sex? I'm going to memorize this. Sex manifests through all the regions of nature as the two polarities of one nature. His head is going to explode, bro. <laughs> That's not what it says on Pornhub. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was a really cool one, too. And... I think that's pretty much it for this one is everything else yeah yeah we'll, we'll rapid fire through the next two because because we kind of just jump around a little bit and the, the and you, have a, you have two, a you have a side quest too right <laughs> yeah i do so here that's we go the next one. um so in right, issue five of volume two there was the uh yeah right here we've got the brazen serpent on the towel cross um which always just stood out to me because, you know, my name's starting with a T. So whenever I see this towel cross, I always feel like it's like speaking to me or something. Um, but I, but if, if you're not familiar with this particular symbol, I think it's an ode to um, Moses. And he had this like staff that um, apparently people were getting sick. They were getting bitten by snakes and they had like snake bites and they were dying of snake, um, snake venom. And, this is one of the reasons why they would um, refer to like these fiery serpents or these, these uh, flaming serpents, which also apparently shared a name with seraphim. So the seraphim that came down onto earth and these flaming serpents could potentially be the, um, you know, the word of the same thing. But this particular instance, a bunch of people were getting sick from these uh, snake bites, which they called fiery serpents because if you got the venom in you, it felt like your body was just like burning up from the inside. And the cure was that they put this, uh, this snake on the staff. And if you looked at the snake, he rose it up in front of the people. And if you just looked at it, you'd be cured of like the venom. And this later gets quoted in the Bible later on where they talk about uh, like raise me up as Moses did the staff with the snake on it. You raise talking about, like, yeah, well, I mean, they're literally talking about like a metaphor, but this is the OG story of the serpent on the snake. And another aspect of this is that um, it was like whoever has the biggest snake wins. And it literally Moses takes the snake on the staff and raises it up. And it essentially consumes all the other magic snakes and staffs from all the Egyptian pharaohs. And because Moses had the biggest, baddest, the most magical snake, 
it basically just absorbed all the other magical snakes out there Dude. and this became a symbol um this brazen serpent on the staff or on the cross uh of that one particular event but it's got so many deeper dives on it and i got uh, a deeper dive on it yeah, that, go for it. That's why you need the biggest dog dick because the biggest <laughs> dog dick is going to absorb... It absorbs all the other dog dicks. <laughs> all the other... Dude, we should put that in the comic, bro. We should put like a dog dick eating all their dog dicks somewhere, like a little Easter egg somewhere. Well, I, I think that every once in a while there'll be like a guy chasing a dog with a huge dick. <laughs> like, he's, like he found it, but now with he has a machete. To yeah. <laughs> like running after him trying to get it to make his homunculus <laughs> so my side quest on this was was just because i i've uh because you're a freemason yeah well i got this uh compendium to morals and dogma by albert um albert pike and there was this long ass article about um from albert pike and I'll, I'll read the part that that seemed the most interesting to me and just to be clear i've got no idea what half of this even means because it is so it's like way over my head um but it's got a lot of cool buzzwords that that uh you know pique my interest constantly and there's there's this compendium book that goes along with it um breaks it down a little bit more but but basically in scottish right the 25th degree is the knight of the brazen serpent which is a direct reference to this you know serpent on the tau cross um, so I'll read part of it and it's that uh, let's see and this is from Morals and Dogma uh, Night of the Brazen Serpent the, the cosmogony of the Hebrews and that of the Gnostics designated this reptile as the author of the fate of souls it was consecrated in the mysteries of Bacchus and those of Eleusis Pluto overcame the virtue of Persephone under the form of a serpent and like an Egyptian god Serapis was always pictured seated on a serpent and with that reptile entwined about him it's also found on the mithraic monuments and supplied to the typhon of the egyptians the sacred basilisk and coil with its head and neck erect was the royal ensign of the pharaohs two of them entwined around and hung suspended of the winged globe of the egyptian monument on a tablet at the tombs of thebes a god with a spear pierces a serpent's head on the tablet from the temple of, of Osiris is a tree with a man on one side, a woman on the other, and in front of the woman an erect basilisk with horns on its head and a disc between the horns. The head of Medusa was encircled by winged snakes, which the head removed of the sacred cipher of the Ophites and serpent worshippers, and the serpent in connection with the globe or circle is found upon the monuments of all ancient nations. Um, so this is basically... OG Albert Pike just breaking down all the different places where serpents come up and the the very introduction to this uh, 25th degree he writes the degree of the night of the brazen serpent relates to a time when the camp of Israelites was pitched on the eastern side of the mountains um, and the death of Aaron when the new moon occurred at the at the vernal equinox in the 40th year of wandering and the children of Israel the duties of a knight of the brazen serpent are to purify the soul of its alloy of earthliness and that through the gate of Capricorn and the seven spheres, it may at length ascend to its eternal home beyond the stars and to perpetuate the great truths enveloped in the symbols and allegories of all ancient mysteries. Sounds a lot like a lot of cool words uh, all put together. Something that Manly P. Hall would come across <laughs> and just like jizz himself, right? 
Um, so again, this is like that Albert Pike OG breakdown of it. And if, and if you see that the one with the three um, images, if you scroll down the black and white. Yeah, it's got. So the one on the right is the order. The one in the middle is called the jewel. And the one on the left is the apron. Um, so the jewel there mm. is that towel cross with the serpent. And that's that those three images are directly from Albert Pike's morals and dogma. It's an illustration from this chapter on the brazen serpent. And what was what year was Pike? Uh, contemporary of Hall, but he was okay. he was born before Hall. Like was. eight early eighteen hundred? No, no, late early nineteen hundreds. That he was. He was no. He was a uh, Pike's. You know, heyday was still the late eighteen hundreds. Mm. All right. What what year was Hall born? It wasn't like nineteen something, nineteen oh one, right? Yeah, because because he was in his twenties when yeah. he uh, wrote all this stuff. So check that. So out. That was the side. The side quest I went on was specifically <laughs> about the just the symbolism of the brazen serpent and the snake on the towel cross and everything. And I also um, I did a whole entire episode on serpent worship. And the serpent symbolism with Gabe and Dr. Ionescu, where we got into the history of this reptilian or serpent snake worship in antiquity, in Greek, and all these stuff. We talk about the Gnostics and all that. I think one of the, like the, the practical explanation for the snake on the cross and everything was that in this particular region of the world at that time, um, venomous snakes were around and it happened often enough that they actually developed their own minor god of snake anti-venom um and this might have been like the original towel cross with a snake on it might have come from the worship of that minor god that specifically resembled snake venom which would also uh explain why this was the motion when you know they put the snake on the staff and held it up and said if you look at this you'll be cured of the venom uh, that might be an actual echo of the original minor snake god. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And also that the, uh, again, in Hebrew, the word for fiery serpent is the same as it is for seraphim, as it is for these, uh, um, like the, the brazen serpent, essentially, the ones that were coming out of the sky and biting people. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and and, and that's really interesting, the, the whole Moses connection, all that stuff. And the way it's looked up to in secret societies. It, makes, it just makes you think, right? So there was a, in the Q and a of this one, uh, again, this issue five, a bunch of stories in this one, there's a bunch of stories in this one, but, but when I went to the Q and a, there was a couple examples of, again, like daddy hall being sort of, uh, I guess we'd say like a conservative, uh, by today's standards. And one of the questions is, can we get anything we want by wishing for it? Answer, yes, if we wish to work. <laughs> Which I love that one. That's like such a dad response, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, there's And another one that, that kind of took me by surprise. What's the best way to free oneself from the clutches of a hypnotist? Um, so this is like someone legitimately writing in the Manly P. Hall. I think they're that, I guess thought they were a mind control victim. Uh, and he he just like, you know, power positive thinking. Um, 
the only possible way is developing a positive willpower and making it stronger of that of the operator. So he's literally talking about overpowering your mind control, uh, you know, operator, which is kind of cool. And then the the last one, who is God? And again, this is in classic matter of fact uh, answering form. God, as he is now generally understood man and the universe are various stages in the concrete manifestation of the absolute like okay damn i mean why not just like put that at the beginning in issue one uh <laughs> volume one right just like here's what god is yeah what's your sign bro gemini uh did they do gemini the, already the, the two-face yeah the two-face no, I don't think they did the... No, I've been looking out for it. We'll get to it. All right, cool. Yeah, and then we have... Uh, we had one more in here that I wanted to read. Where is it? Oh, you had this one, too. Please name some occult literature that is good for the beginner to study. Is the one that you mentioned earlier. About... Oh, yeah, yeah. This this might be a good one for us to follow for some occult book club reviews. The Sorrows of... I've never even heard of any of these books. So we yeah, have. So he says, the the brother of the third degree by Garver. I'm not sure who that is. The dweller on two planets by Philos. Miriam of the mystic brotherhood by Howard. The romance of two worlds by Barbarus. The sorrows of Satan and life everlasting by Marie Corelli. And I, he lists those as fictional writings. Interesting. It says the writings of Jacob. Bohemi, Andrew Jackson Davis, and Emmanuel Swedenborg are excellent from the mystic standpoint. Sibley, Raphael, William, Lily, and Nicholas Culpepper are good in astrology. The Secret Doctrines, Isis Unveiled, and the Key to Theosophy by <laughs> Madame Blavatsky. Someone else thought those were good books to follow, too. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Cosmo of Co Conception by Max Heindel are the best of occult works of modern times. Spencer Huxley. Huxley, yeah, yeah. My, my ears perked up when I saw that one, too. And Plato lead in scientific research and philosophy while H.G. Wells has written an excellent history of the world. So I'll keep that name in mind, Huxley. That, can, that name is connected to a lot of things in history. So, yep. and, and I have little doubt that he specifically means Aldous Huxley here because... I think him and Aldous Huxley were around the same yep. age around the time. I believe so. Yeah, they were contemporaries too. So we have here. And then you want to get into the last one, which uh, was it? The oh, he writes about the yeah. breastplate, right? Yeah. So, so again, in the very first uh, issue, it had the chocolate, the golden chocolate bar with the twelve squares, and I didn't know what the hell it was. So he actually breaks it down. Um, at the very end of this issue he's got all sorts of uh, and we can just kind of read over that yeah this right here the breastplate of the high priest um, but before before you get there because this will probably end this one off he also earlier in this issue kind of has these like eight eight steps for living life um, and again some of these are like really weird and I don't agree with all of them but it was interesting from his point of view so Manly Palmer Hall's eight steps to living a better life. One, do not mourn for that which is lost. For the more you mourn, the more you lose. All right, don't cry over spilled milk. That one makes sense. We've all heard that one before. Do not weep because you are weak, because you get weaker if you weep. 
that one's an interesting one. <laughs> Does that mean that like the more you cry, the the bigger of a pussy you become? That's kind of how it, it reads. Um, or like, don't cry just because of how weak you are, because crying over how weak you are makes you even weaker. But whatever. Like honestly, you know, this maybe you've got Hall a good job me- lined up, bro. Like, there's people out there making bank at being good at crying. So, so he's telling me not to be a pussy. Is that what is that what Manly Hall is trying to do? I mean, get it, get a job. You know, like he's telling you all these things. He's he's angry, Daddy Hall. I would have loved uh, to have him as a mentor growing up, bro. Uh. I mean, just to, sh- to show you how to hunt down those cougars with the with the paychecks. Right? <laughs> do not wring your hands or wave them in the air. If you do, you will not have enough strength to walk with later. Mm. Uh, all right. I'm not sure I got that one. I read it over a few times. Right over uh, I'm not going to pretend. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend like I, I understand the deeper meaning. When you are happy and do not laugh, figure out the joke and you'll probably find out it's not very funny after all (laughs) again this is like the dude in the corner of the party like i got the joke i just didn't think it was funny you know what i mean like i'm i'm too smart to laugh at this stupid joke there's always that one guy (laughs) they don't know i'm Oh, what oh. a great meme, though. You should, you know what? You should put the little uh, Manly Palmer Hall cross on the guy's, around the guy's neck. On his shirt. Uh, oh, the, yeah, put the, put his little it? cross on there. What was uh, it? What article was that from? I'm trying to remember now. That was the, was it the abstractions? The, the break, the breakdown of the cross. No, where was this from? The realization of immort- immortal reality. That was the stage one. Which one was that one? Oh, the meme? Oh man, I don't know. I'll have to go. Uh... Anyways, uh, oh, it was the law of non-attachment, which was in issue two. All right, I'll look for it. Yeah, the law of non-attachment. So, okay, so anyways, um, we were on number four, which was uh, yeah, like sometimes you're too you're too smart for a joke. <laughs> when you think that loud laughter is a symbol of intelligence and affability, remember that some inmates of the lunatic asylum laugh all the time. So again, this this sounds like crabby Manly P. Hall. Like like he literally heard someone tell a joke and everyone got it and he didn't get it and it just made him feel like an idiot and he was stewing on it for like a week. It was so and then he mad. Wrote, he wrote up two laws of how to live your life and they both revolve around uh, being too smart to get a joke and to not feel bad if, if you don't get a joke. So th- there feels like there's something personal here. Do not weep because you are ruined, for you are ruining your nervous system also when you do. So apparently he was cry- he was crying a lot, and he was not getting jokes around this time. Well, also, I, I, I want to point out that Manly P. Hall, was, he was also writing, like, self-help books, too, by the way. It wasn't just all occult type of stuff. There was There was some, like, how to live a happier life, how to read your bible correctly how to like he was doing like self-help stuff all at the same time like here and there whenever he was writing stuff so maybe that's i mean that uh that same category kind of blends over today too right like all the self-help always blends into like esoteric thought and philosophy Mm -hmm. and stuff um and then he says do not walk around in circles you'll never get any further than yourself if you do okay that's that's pretty basic one and then the last one, number eight, this one, this one, again, I'm reading this in the context of like daddy hall 
just is about to marry these uh you know these rich he never married them the they want they wanted to okay. marry him right. he strung them along he strung them along okay. to get that money so consider that as you read this eighth one do not love anybody too much if you do do not show it too much it will give them an advantage over you i love that one this one is basically string them along can you read that one again because i was typing out the caption to our meme that i'm about to post (laughs) do not love anybody too much if you do do not show it too much it'll give them an advantage over you Mm. and for this to come from like the we are all one you know love is the highest vibration of all like this is i'm getting a a bonacci santos no uh, i don't say that i'm getting a little bit of a feel from that though right (laughs) of like i preach understanding and oneness and love but then also like don't ever yeah don't ever don't ever love someone too much like they'll screw you over they'll use it against you and that's dating advice from manly p hall only high vibrations allowed so yes and then here we are at the breastplate of the high priest which was something completely new to me you said it was a chocolate bar and i i kind of wanted to believe that (laughs) maybe that's where we got the the concept from but i knew about this because of john d and the breastplate that the angels made him wear it was it they're, they're supposed to serve as a talisman and i know you looked up some extra stuff on it right nope or you got everything from here yeah, yeah, everything I, I found out about it was from this this article right here. All right, uh, do you want to read it? No. Okay. Well, that was it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're not going to read it, bitch? <laughs> I, don't have the, I don't have this one in front of me, uh, big. Here. But but the interesting parts here was that the, uh, the four rows, it's basically four by three. So the four rows represent the four elements. And that the uh, the three columns um, represented something else, and that uh, the three times four was uh, twelve, and the twelve represented mm. the zodiacs. But he also mentioned something that I I looked up, and it was just another one of those like stated without any source. But yeah, that, um, the twelve zodiac also represent like the twelve manifolds of the human brain. Well. There's not just 12. There is a bunch of them, but he just kind of says it like there's 12 here. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. The, it was a ventricles or something like that. Cause I remember Googling the same thing when he said that same exact thing that you're saying that it represents the 12. Da, da, da. He was talking about the number 12 in the brain. And it took me a while to find the piece of information that said 12. I ended up finding it, but it wasn't exactly how he had said it. It was like a little bit modified. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, there's not just 12. I mean, he's, he was talking about the brain being broken up into, like, 12 distinct sections mm. um, somewhat, but that's not really – there's no basis for that, but, you know, you kind of have to be reading the article and, um, you know, give up some of those analogies that he's making. Yeah, yeah. So, let's see. We have nothing else here. Yeah, we can get into some, some of this stuff more in depth on other episodes. But essentially, that was The All-Seeing Eye, Volume 2, Number 1 through 6. And next, on the next episode, I want to do 
the secret of the golden flower, not because it's got to do with homunculus, but because I was reading it today. It's going You're over. Lying. You know, it's because it has to do with homunculus. No, dude, it gets deep. Like it was really like blowing my mind today where I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? So I want to break it down with like you, Gabe and somebody else to see where we can go with it. It's not that long. And it, I think it's got a lot of stuff that we can really go wild with, aside from it having some homunculus in it. So <laughs> just a heads up on the next one. We'll either do that or we'll do something. We'll figure We'll figure it out. There's plenty of old books that we can read. But so We I, got Edith Thorpe um, coming up, too, mm-hmm. which is another one by – or had illustrations by John Augustus Knapp, yep. the one that did those tarot cards. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Well, dude, you want to plug anything else while we're here? Oh, ParanoidAmerican.com. Check out shirts, stickers, comics, soon-to-be games. Uh, yeah, that's it. Issue 2 is coming up soon. This will be out next week, this episode. So here we go, Colt this Monday. Issue 2, it's got, it's got a whole bunch of... It's got uh, XG, Johnny. It's got Sam Tripoli. It's got Alex Stein in it. It's got a bunch of people. There you go. ParanoidAmerican.com. The101podcast.com. Thank you all for being here. And we'll catch you Acoltbookclub.com. Oh, that's right. Acoltbookclub.com. Oh, <laughs> Is it the Occult Book Club or Occult Book it's Club? It's just Occoltbookclub.com without right. the. And that'll take you directly. We could get, we could get V too, but. That'll, that'll get you directly to the YouTube channel videos. So, all right. Bye. credit card bill.